Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, no, that's terrible. Oh, he's dislocated. That's just awful. Six minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11 in this, the month of August in the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the washfully appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program, lovingly assembled in the United States by a collection of robots. Thank you for joining us today. It is Thursday, and welcome to Day 12. Uh, if you'd like to join us today, it's 503-733-2970. Oh, my God, you've got to stop. What? Haven't you said it like 17 times? I said it, and then I realized I might have been, the, I might have been reciting the phone number with an excess of rapidity. At least you got it right. I might have been saying it too quickly. Uh, the only reason I say this is... I was noting, uh, I almost shouldn't say this, but I will. Uh, so, this past Sunday, we had the debut of Musicology uh, with Timmy Ryan and Kristen Bowie, which actually went pretty pretty swimmingly, I would say. First show out of the gate, especially. I, mean, I don't mean to sound like I'm damning with faint praise, but I mean, you know, you know, one never knows. You know, the first show, they've been prepping for it, and it actually went pretty well. I give it a, it's a one-in-the-wind column. I give it a solid thumbs up. But, you know, they've been sort of working on that show for about five, six weeks now. You know, sort of been like, you know, looking forward to it. And you know what it is? You get all that excess uh, energy or whatever it is. It builds up like some sort of, like some sort of, uh, some sort of entertainment capacitor that has been storing up all of this power that's then going to be expelled. And so they, they kick off the show this last Sunday at 7 o'clock. And you could tell Timmy Ryan, who is maybe a little, uh, Overamped under the best of circumstances, but was even more so for I think the first I don't know 10, 12, 15 minutes of the show, and it always comes. It's funny, no matter who you are, no matter what kind of radio you're doing, no matter where you're from, it always comes out in exactly the same way, and that is that uh, when anybody is going on the radio, whether a DJ, talk show host, whatever, and they either are, they're either running a little late, and so you got that kind of weird, that weird running behind energy, you know, that, that sort of like you're a little bit flustered because you don't quite know what you're doing, or You've just sort of been building up to it for a couple of weeks, as was the case with those guys. It always manifests itself in exactly the same way, which is that you say the phone number like five times faster than you're supposed to, and the last eight syllables all just run together. 
So instead of 503-733-2970, it becomes... I'm Timmy Ryan. It's 503-733-2970. You know, and it's... Bam! It all comes out as one big sort of open-ended vowel sound. Anyway, I want to make sure I wasn't doing that just now. 503-733-2970. That's the phone number right there. Uh, for your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, two cents, uh, what have ye. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, or the mundane. Uh, if you want to email us today, you can do that as well. It is rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. Uh, it's a fantastic program on the horizon today. One can see it sort of coming over, heading toward us, raising a cloud of purple dust. Uh, here's what we've got today. CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum will be joining us today from New York City. Uh, Rachel McGrath from Los Angeles today. About somebody stalking... Wait, hold on. Who's being stalked? This is like one of those USA Today infographic things. Who's being stalked? 17% Abe Vigoda. Uh, who's being stalked? It is... Joan Q... No, no, no. John Cusack. Right. I was going to say Joan Cusack. Well, the only person who would stalk Joan Cusack is me, and I'm here. So, uh, somebody apparently is stalking John Cusack. John Cusack does seem like one of those guys who would be stalked by any number of women who think that he is, in fact, one of the characters he's played in his films, or any number of dudes who think that John's just like me. We think the same stuff. There you go. So, we'll find out from Rachel McGrath exactly who's stalking John Cusack. Uh, doesn't it seem like there ought to be some sort of a movie at this point? Because we're in a, the, the midst of a whole rash of films that are sort of, it's sort of like verbing noun. You know what I mean? Like it's a searching for Bobby Fischer, chasing Amy, forgetting Sarah Marshall, you know, whatever, the, the, finding Forrester, uh, capturing the Freedmans. I mean, that's like five off the top of my head right there. Doesn't it seem like there ought to be a movie that's called Stalking? Da -da -da -da? I mean, we've had Being John Malkovich. Mm -hmm. There ought to be a movie called Stalking Somebody. Who's the least likely celebrity to be stalked? Anybody? Go. Who's a celebrity no one... Stalking Alfonso Ribeiro. Mm -hmm. No, I can do better than that. Stalking... Who's somebody that nobody really in their right mind would really take time Tom out of their... Tom Skerritt. Stalking Tom Skerritt. B. Like... Arthur. Stalking B. Arthur. There you go. That's it. Uh, I find Tom Skerritt to be singularly sinister, by Ernest the way. Ernest Borgnine. AP. Stalking Ernest Borgnine. That... I was just watching him on TV. Ernest Borgnine or mm -hmm. Tom Skerritt? Ernest Borgnine. In what? Talking, <laughs> he was on a talk show and they were asking him what his secret was to staying so young. Did he give one of these, uh, the, one of those great hilarious old guy answers like, I smoke a lot and I have sex all the time. Kind of. Really? Yeah. Every day I eat six strips of bacon. Oh no, he's very alert. You no, know, he's got it together. He, the, we heard that soundbite and you can tell those guys who sort of stay sharp. I mean, it really is, one likes to live a clean lifestyle. Let me retract that. One doesn't like to live a clean lifestyle, but one does, hoping that it'll you just sort of forestall the grim, icy hand of death closing around your throat late at night. But you, you, you sort of see those guys, and you realize it doesn't really matter. It's just a crapshoot. You know what I mean? I mean, it just... It, 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 I mean, we've all heard this story. I mean, freaking Isaac Hayes was on a treadmill. He was exercising when he died. I mean, there really is just no... When death comes for you, there's just no getting around it. So it doesn't matter. You might, one should just drink deep from the cup of existence and live for today. Because when, I mean, when your number's up, man, that's it. Doesn't matter. Who was that guy, Pritikin or whatever that guy was, that exercise guru, died some time back. And, of course, he'd written some, he'd written some smug, smarmy book about jogging and how oh, it was the key. Oh, that running guy. Yeah, and he's like, D jogging will let you live to 120. And you can already see the end of the story. If you jog every day, you can live to be 120. And at the age of like 47, he's jogging, bam, dead in the street. Bastard. You know who's still alive, though? What Jack... do you get for taunting everybody? Jack LaLanne. He's like in his 90s now, isn't he? I didn't know he was still alive, really. He's still alive. 
All right, good for him. All right. In any event, so, uh, and this is all true. Uh, so we'll be talking to uh, Rachel McGrath. Also, Ed McCarthy uh, will be joining us today. Uh, let's see what else we have coming up today. Chris Paddock from KUFO will join us in the studio today. Top five guilty pleasures from terribly named artists. That's what we got coming up today. Top five guilty pleasures from artists with terrible or embarrassing or simply uncool names. Uh, what else? Jock Watch. We haven't had one of those in a while. Jock Watch coming up today. Uh, it is High Concept Thursday, and we now got two sort of warring high concept topics. One of which, to my undying shame and embarrassment and horror, is in fact from last Thursday. So I, I got to get to that one today because it's time sensitive. And then we got this great uh, OCD uh, high concept topic that Sarah was floating yesterday. And we got to do that today because Sarah's not going to be here tomorrow. It's all very confusing. I am not. Uh, let's see what else. Don't forget, uh, one, I say killing time here, one random caller today. Attention, Richie Bristol. One random caller today went to Family Four Pack to the AST Do Tour uh, uh, for the uh, opening day of that, August 21st, which is next Thursday. August 21st to 24th, featuring the greatest talent in skateboarding, BMX, and freestyle motocross. Tickets on sale now through Comcastics.com. That's Comcastics with an X. Uh, so one random caller today uh, wins a, a Family Four Pack to the AST Do Tour for Thursday. Uh, August 21st. Let's see. What else? Uh, well, some other stuff that we'll get to in just a moment. Uh, Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification on this Thursday. It's going to be 100 degrees today and tomorrow. An innocent party is here during a police chase this morning that began on MLK. Well, move over, field baby woman. A woman gives birth to a baby on her front lawn alone. A Swedish wrestler throws out his bronze medal, bitterly crying, I don't care about this medal, I wanted gold. Oh, my God. 37 catalytic converters are stolen from police cars in Florida. Julia Child was a spy, protecting us from the Nazis. A man attacks two people for staring at his Winnie the Pooh costume. Madonna, Madonna turns 50 Saturday. I thought Madonna turned 50 like five years ago. I know, she keeps turning 50. <laughs> I'm, I'm calling a little bit of shenanigans on this. I seem to remember celebrating, yes, I was, celebrating Madonna's 50th birthday like in, in like 2005 or something. All right, well, whatever. The stars of Dallas will hold their 30th anniversary reunion. All right, fantastic. And just before we move on, let me just... Oh, no, that's terrible. Oh, he's dislocated. That's just awful. Fantastic. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dylan. Hello, how are you today? Hi, it's my Friday. Okay, so you are gone tomorrow, mm -hmm. and it's the best kind of day off because it's for no real reason. Mm -hmm. I've just... never done it before. I seem to... I'm just going to take... Yeah, the only days I've ever been in town that I've taken off are just because I'm sick. So I've never actually been able to enjoy a day off. So yeah, tomorrow I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a long bike ride. Go out to lunch with some friends and then work on finish up my soapbox derby car because we have it all done except for the brakes. Okay, well, yeah. you know the brakes are for those. That's for sissy. <laughs> and I have to be, you know, have to be up at like 5 a.m. on Saturday, so I'm gonna have to do that all day. And so hopefully everything's all done by the time you know it's bedtime tomorrow night. So tomorrow you're gonna get your uh, Peter Gibbons on and just do nothing at all. Yep. All I'm right. going to go to a coffee shop, and I'm going to, like, eat a bagel and get a coffee. and In the middle of the day. In the middle of the day. While everyone else is working. In a day, at a time that I'm not used to, you know, not being Excellent. outside. That's good. For, and you don't really have it. I mean, you got to work on your on the, the soapbox thing, but you don't really have a whole lot of other plans. So it's good to do that every day. It's good mm -hmm. for the soul, Sarah Dillon. And we don't really truck with a lot of vacation around here. but So it's, you know, it's good just to uh, just good to sip from that cup every now and again. Take a day. All right. Uh, so tomorrow, um, is it a vacation day or a personal day? I don't know. Didn't you fill out a thing? Yeah, whatever I marked it as. All right. Well, I don't know which, what's the difference? I don't know. What is the difference? It's impossible to find out how many of each you have. I do know that. 
I thought we, I know we had two weeks. I thought it was you, just from that thing. You, you only know when they stamp it. Denied. All right. But because, because whenever we work an extra day, like a holiday or something, then we get an extra day. But do we get a an comp extra vacation day. day or personal day? I think when we work a holiday, as we always do, that it, you get a, a comp day. I mean, it's all academic for me because I never use it anyway. Uh, but it, 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 you, well, I think when you work on a holiday, like a CBS holiday or a federal holiday or whatever the hell, you get a comp day, which then means that's like an extra vacation day. So I think if you get a comp, this is so uninteresting to anybody who's not us. I think you get a comp day, and what that means is you can then take a vacation day, and it doesn't count against you. In other words, let's say for the sake of round numbers, you got ten vacation days. But if you work a holiday, you can take a vacation day, and your holiday it stays at ten. You know what I mean? You know, I think. I don't really know. Just but take a day off and relax. But that's the thing. Just just leave. Just get out. Uh, but I don't know the difference between vacation days and personal days either now that I think about it. Well, I mean, really, I what is the, the right one? I mean, well, I don't think it really matters, though. Does it? No. A day off's a day off. Is a personal day... Is a personal day for, like, if... Uh, a personal day is an extra vacation day. But is a, pers- is a personal day... Is that a thinly veiled way of saying, like, uh... I don't know, like if your girlfriend set fire to all your stuff on the front lawn of your house and you got to go, what, you got to go sort that out or something? I guess you could do it that way. It's a personal day, like if you have to go have a chat with your bail bondsman. I wonder if a personal day is for something that's not technically a vacation. It's for something that might otherwise involve an awkward discussion with HR as you need some time off to go handle a situation of, of some kind. I bet that's what that is. So there's vacation days, personal days, sick days... All right, you know I'm done thinking about it. I don't really if you want, need a day to go uh, get some Botox or something like that. <laughs> you can use that as a personal day. It's not really a sick day or a vacation. Day. I have a day where I'm just going to be gambling and shooting heroin. What sort of day might this be? Uh, by the way, speaking of vacation days, so Tim had, so Tim's going to be uh, gone for a while later on, uh, like later the month day. or next month or something. No, next next Friday. Friday. As so, indicated on that, well, which is the second one I filled out. And so here's the thing. So this is the only reason I'm telling this story about a piece of paperwork, which I know is gripping to everybody, is because it ends in what I hold here in my hand. So Tim's like, don't forget, I'm going to be gone on the 22nd, and I. He looked up at a computer. I have a little there. like I have a lot of little spreadsheet or whatever, you know, so I can just keep track of like, hey. if, like if Timmy Ryan has to be in or if Kristen has to fill in. And I look and it doesn't. You know, oh, I wonder if he gave Timmy Ryan a day off instead of me. I don't think Timmy Ryan gets days off. He doesn't really do days. Can you see Timmy Ryan doing anything with free time? He just sits at home on the couch and vibrates, just kind of waiting to come back. That's it. Um, so I looked at the spreadsheet and it didn't show that you had a day off. And so I told him, I said, hey, you know, for some reason, didn't the system didn't. You know, maybe I lost it or whatever. You know, I'd, maybe I forgot to sign it or something. So you resubmit your vacation thing. So Tim is resubmits his form and he puts it in. Yes. An Astro Boy envelope right there. I considered sending it to the business office in this envelope. I did not awesome. At the end of the day, I did not. I, uh, I chose just to keep it. Actually, this. it's writing paper. If you open it up, there's, really? there's a little note saying thank you inside. So it becomes Astro Boy stationary yeah, as well. That folds into an Astro Boy. And because you asked me who, who Astro Boy was and what he looked like. And I, and, I see, and I was sort of confusing him with somebody else, so I'm glad you clarified it, because this is not what I pictured Astro Boy looking like. Yeah, I have a whole bunch of those at home. Excellent. All right, we have to move on from this discussion. Uh, let's see. Astro, oh, by the way, uh, Sarah Dillon, speaking of you, I brought in today one of those Special K protein energy bars. It's not even an energy bar. It's a meal bar. It's one of those Thank meal you. replacement bars. Because Now, you may not like it. Your mileage may vary. But i got to tell you, I want to know if you, and I got you the chocolate peanut butter kind, which is the same kind that I had, just because I want to know if your experience is the same as mine in that it tastes so unbelievably good that you cannot possibly believe it's good for you. 
I'm not saying it isn't. I mean, I don't really know. I mean, it claims to have 10 grams of protein or something. Uh, That's but I mean, awesome because I already ate my lunch for today, so and I didn't have anything else. I will tell you this. This thing, the Special K protein bar, tastes exactly like a Snickers Crunch bar, which is a little dangerous because that is, I'm saying for me now, just the, the, my personal assessment, uh, which may not reflect your, your results may vary. Uh, it, it, it tastes like the Snickers Crunch Bar, which is the best candy bar on earth. So there you go. So we've got this. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, we got uh, just a few horrible stories coming up later on. Uh, we've got... Yesterday we did this top five. We did the top five benefit songs about which uh, you may have entirely forgotten. And I think the number one or the number two, I think number one was Hands Across America uh, from the sort of benefit of the same name. And Hands Across America was this terrible song for a terrible... I was going to say a terrible cause, but I don't even know what the cause was. It was to, like, give some group of people more of something than they previously had. I guess that's what all these... That's, that's what these things are all really about, like, at the base of it, right? you got a group of people who has some amount of something, and we're trying to give them more of whatever that something is. And we give it to them, and they're ungrateful, and they come back for more anyway. <laughs> it never solves their problems. Didn't I just give you some rice last year? <laughs> well, it's... <laughs> What happened to that food that I gave you six months? Don't tell me you've eaten it all already. Ah, for the love of God. Uh, but Hands Across America was this whole thing where they were trying to get... It, it's just what it sounds like, as stupid as that may seem. Every single per They were trying to get a chain of people from, I think, like New York to Los Angeles holding hands. So it was going to be like 2,500 miles or whatever of people holding hands coast to coast, which is a singularly stupid idea. And by the way, an unsuccessful one, because they ended up with like 75 people. There, We work with somebody who was one of those 75 people. We heard from somebody in the building, and she'll come in later and tell us the story, but we heard from somebody in the building. She sent me this email. She's like, OMG, OMG. I'd, and she completely blocked it out. She's like, I'd forgotten all about this until you played the Hands Across America song. She's like, I lived in Huntington Beach, and my mom maybe dragged me off to you know, Huntington Valley or whatever it was uh, to stand there and hold hands with creepy strangers as part of the Hands Across America thing. Uh, so we'll talk to her later and find out more about that. Um, I think that's really it. Oh, except to, except to work backward and say this before we break. Yesterday, as part of this top five uh, benefit songs about which you had probably forgotten, I think number... Five, three, Fjord, one of the numbers, uh, was uh, Stars by Here in Aid, uh, which was put together by Ronnie James Dio, and it was like Kevin DeBrow and Don Dockin and Rudy Sarzo and uh, I think, uh, what's his name, blah, 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 St. Hubbins, Christopher St. Hubbins, Michael St. Hubbins, whatever's his name, the Michael McKeon guy from, from uh, Spinal Tap. And I had thought at the time that it was like, and I guess maybe this is just because of the name of the group, I had thought that Here in Aid, put together by Ronnie James Dio, was in fact like a hearing loss thing, and apparently not. I guess it was, I mean, it sort of makes sense, right? And let's be honest, it's not like I follow heavy metal benefit records, like, maybe as closely as I ought to. So, there was just like snarky MySpace posting yesterday on my MySpace page, and these guys like, Rick, I'm completely and truly disappointed in you. It was not for hearing loss. Apparently, Ronnie James Dio was just so unbelievably incensed and angry that no hard rock or metal artists were invited to take part in We Are the World that he then formed his own sort of like, his own like rival benefit, sort of the misfits to their to their gem and the holograms. And it was just all of these metal dudes sing, and it, which makes it even better, by the way, that the hook of the song is We Are Stars, because it was all like a, like the dual middle fingers to, uh, to, the, to the We Are America, uh, to the We Are the World folks. So there you go. Uh, stars by Hearing Aid, not a benefit for hearing loss, in fact, for world hunger. There you go. There's that. Uh, and I don't have time to talk about this stuff I, I did last night, except to say a couple of things. 
I don't know if if this was happening when you left yesterday, Tim, because you and I are both sort of freaks about using that unisex bathroom. Oh no, I went upstairs to report that the water wouldn't stop. It was it was the weirdest thing. It wasn't overflowing, but it oh. wasn't flushing. It was like this endless swirling of the water in the bowl. It right. was. Toilet in the ladies' room does that sometimes too. But well, it was kind of hypnotic. I told Dave Zinn. Yeah. And the Roto-Rooter man was here today. No, he got the, he got somebody on the case about it. But he was, I actually had to go in and look at it because it was just such a weird phenomenon. It must be really clean, though. I mean, it, it was the strangest thing that, like, I don't know exactly how that even works because the water wasn't overflowing and the water wasn't lowering. It was sitting there at exactly the same level in, in the toilet bowl. Going around and around and around. For, like, two hours. And it just sat there and went, like some sort of horrible urine-filled jacuzzi. Just going around and around and around. And I sat there and I stared at it for probably 90 seconds. And then I realized I was, in fact, a guy just being transfixed by the movement of water in a toilet. And then I sort of shuffled sadly away to my office. But it was the strangest thing. And one of those sort of things that puzzles me way more than it ought to, because I don't know how that comes to be. So uh, there's that. Also this, I don't have time to tell my whole Fry's uh, electronic story, but I went to Fry's last night. I mean, I guess I can tell a little bit of it. So uh, my wife and I had, until recently, uh, the, the exactly the same MP3 player. And this is not a plug or an endorsement. I simply uh, use this, and I love it. It is the Creative uh, Vision M which really is, I mean, right next to my TiVo, one of the best things I've ever purchased. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, I mean, it plays everything. It plays MP3s. It plays Waves. It's a virtual, it's a, you know, like an external hard drive. And the best thing about it is uh, you can just drag and drop a movie or a TV show right onto it, and it plugs into your TV in the living room. Watch it right there in the comfort of your own living room. It really is a fantastic piece of electronic equipment. I don't mean to knock the iPod or the whatever. They're good for their purpose. This really, the Creative Vision M is really, it's in a class by itself. And my wife had it, and then she somehow, over the last few weeks, she lost hers. Couldn't find it. And we've taken a few weeks retracing our steps, calling everywhere we were, and we're just not turning up. But you know what happens. You lose things. So... We just finally, you know, life is too short to go with it. You can't not have music. So I'm finally, yesterday, I'm like, you know, screw it. Uh, you know, we're just going to go to Fry's. We're going to buy another one. So we drive all the way out to Fry's, which is, I guess we could have gone someplace closer. But, I mean, you know, Fry's is sort of a great place. And it's it's a little bit of a, you'll pardon the pun, a little bit of a zen experience. You drive all the way out there. You walk in. One sort of loses oneself amid myriad shelves of electronics and motherboards and wires and cables and pornography. And you, so we went there. And, of course, creative it's such a frustrating company, and the geeks in the house will sort of... I mean, you really empathize with me on this. Creative, who... They created the MP3 player. And I don't mean they created it like they perfected it. They created it. The, the creative labs invented the MP3 player. Uh, and yet they just find every conceivable way just to kick their customers in the throat all the time. So, with this creative uh, vision M that I have, it's, it's exceptional, it's wonderful. Uh, and so, having created the perfect product, what do they then do? They discontinue it, and, and they replace it with something that doesn't do like a third of what that thing does. And I know I'm in full Bruce Agler mode here, but you just got to, I mean, it's a perfect product. It's flawless. And so, what do you do when you have a flawless immediate? Stop making it. Replace it with something that doesn't work at all. Uh, so, I go there, and I, did, I forgot to look up the specs. So, here's what I'm doing last night. I'm sitting there in the aisle of the, 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 the MP3 player aisle at Fry's, and I'm sitting there on my BlackBerry, on... The inter surfing the internet from my BlackBerry, desperately trying to look up the specs of this new creative MP3 player, like a nerd. Uh, we ended up buying it. I ended up taking it home, and of course, it takes like two hours to set up because you go to one. And man, can I just tell you this? A universal frustration when you open any kind of consumer device, and the first thing you see is like a CD-ROM, and then you know you've got to install software off the CD-ROM before anything will work. I mean, for the love of God, can't you just buy something and you just take it out of the box and it just works? 
And anytime you open something, and first of all, you must in, you must install this 75-part program. This will take you two hours. And then, once you're done installing the, the whole program that comes with your new electronic device, what do you get to do then? You must restart your computer for these changes to take effect. Do you want to restart your computer now? Why do they even give you the option? I can't do... I can do bupkis until I restart the computer. Fine. I'll do, why do you even give me a choice? I mean, that's really sort of a Hobson's option anyway. There's nothing I can do with it. So I restarted it, blah, 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 fired up, realized the thing doesn't do what I needed to do, and so now i got to take it back. It's a whole deal. But on the way to uh, Fry's last night, I saw a homeless guy. We're sitting there at the, the sort of red light as you get off the 283 Wilsonville exit. Homeless guy had a sign, started out great, ended badly. Tell me what's wrong with this sign. Homeless guy, kind of a scummy, you know, kind of handlebar mustache, sort of an emaciated James Hatfield-looking guy. He has a sign that says... Trailer burnt down, old lady left me, dog died. I need money for beer, pot, and a hooker. What's wrong with this sign in your in estimation? Wilsonville? In Wilsonville. That's not a good place for that. Anyway. I mean, it's an open-ended answer. Maybe your answer isn't the same as mine, but do you see something wrong with that sign? What, dog and hooker? See, for me, it's too clever by half. I would take either the top half of that. I told, I told Laura, I'm like, you know, if it had just said... Trailer burnt down, old lady left me, dog dead. I might have given him something. If it had just said, I need beer pot and a hooker, I might have given him something. Mm -hmm. A little too clever, though. Like, both of those things together, it's like they cancel each other out. It's a, He's got the real thing. It's a, well, that's what I'm saying. And for, and do you ever think of this, too? Do you ever look at a homeless guy, and he's got some sign... I mean, you know, like the why lie, I need a beer, or family. There's that one that you see around town, especially in Portland, where it says, family killed by ninjas, need money for kung fu lessons. Kind of funny. But then you look at the guy, and you think, where did he get that idea? Because you know that guy didn't come up with it himself. I mean, it may be overdone, but it's still too witty for that guy to have come up with. So is there some sort of a website where the homeless are going to find out, like, what's today's cutting-edge pandering sign? You know what I mean? I just I have no idea. I mean, it is sort of like a, a hundredth monkey kind of a thing, where there's some sort of weird Jungian consciousness among the homeless, where they pass these ideas around from one person to another. Maybe it's actually the yard sale signs are like Fred Meyer. Yeah, maybe. All right. Uh, we got a couple calls. We'll come back after this. Your phone calls. If you're on hold, hang tight. Uh, we will come back with... One of them. I don't know. He made them all up. <laughs> I don't know. We'll come back with somebody from uh, CNN. Your phone calls. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth coming up later on. High Concept Thursday and uh, so forth. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Stay there! Yes, indeed. Why, hello. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Are you going to eat this? Yes. All right, there you go. Let's throw it over there. I know you want it. Is that community property? Is that community food? 503-733-2970 coming up here. That's nice of you. It's fantastic. You should take a bite right now. Do it. Okay. All right. But I wanted to see it because then my stomach's going to start growling in like an hour. No, no, no. It's really good. I just want to see if you have the same reaction to the, to the taste that I do. No, you just want to eat it now. No, I really don't, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm quite full. But uh, this is the Kellogg's uh, Energy Bar, which tastes so good, at least to me, it can't possibly be healthy. I mean, maybe it is. <laughs> That's fantastic. That is really good. That's what I'm saying. But don't you in just instinctively disbelieve no, that it's good, be for, good you? for you? That's what I'm saying. Uh, I don't want to know. I prefer to live in blissful ignorance. Uh, we'll get to... Uh, well, let's do this. Let's bring Steve Kastamem on. Uh, and then, uh, do you have a moment, uh, our good friend, uh, Lisa Wood? Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, <laughs> welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. We were about to bring on Lisa Wood from KUFO. Uh, and then it's a whole thing. And then I started talking about the Kellogg's Energy Bar. And it's just a kerfuffle. Hello, Steve Kastenbaum. How, how are you, sir? Pretty good. Okay, then. Good talk. Usually you say very good, and then there's like, you know, then there's sort of a follow up, like you give a sort of secondary answer. Not today. Yeah, I don't have a 
have one today. I've got so much going on. I, I'm, I'm keeping it short, I guess. I Excellent. don't know. i got a lot on my mind. Today, right. brevity is the soul of, uh, of your genius. Uh, real quickly, do you remember the Hands Across America benefit? <laughs> Vaguely. All right. Well, that's good enough. Uh, so I know you got kind of a full plate, and there's a whole lot of stuff going on. So uh, what, is up with our, what is up with our good friend, the mayor of Detroit? The man dubbed the hip-hop mayor. When we last left this guy... I don't know, he'd been charged with, I don't know, between eight or 9,000 things. Uh, and is it true that there was something, I read some story about you and I had talked about this guy, and then they released him, or they, 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 they let him, but he hadn't been out like five minutes, and he violated some other parole or probation or something? So a couple of days ago, uh, he was in court for violating the terms of his bail agreement. He took a trip to Canada that he didn't tell the judge about, and he was supposed to you know, be restricted uh, to uh, the Detroit area with, unless he had permission to travel, so he, he spends the night in jail. The next day, the judge says, uh, you know, I'm going to let him go and, and reinstate the bail terms or whatever. Uh, then he goes right into another courtroom on an assault charge, and in that assault charge case, he, you know, he pleads not guilty, and that judge says, I'm going to put a GPS tracking device on you because you, you know, went to Canada without telling anybody. So today, he's in a courtroom, and he's putting in his official uh, plea for the main case charges, perjury, official misconduct, obstruction of justice. You know, he was supposedly sending all these uh, inappropriate text messages and having some sort of uh, relationship, allegedly, with his chief of staff. And the two of them are charged with perjury and a whole host of other things. They enter not guilty, please. And then this judge takes it upon himself to say, you know, I think the terms of this bail agreement with uh, no travel and not letting him go to the Democratic Convention, even though he's a delegate and making him wear a, a, a GPS tracking device. The judge said he thought it was silly. And then he said... I also don't think that the, the people of the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan should be represented by a person uh, wearing prison clothes or wearing <laughs> these colors. So the court is going to restrict any, uh, take away, rescind the uh, order that the defendant wear a teller and that he be restricted from traveling. Wait a minute, let me just say this. So, so the issue, he doesn't have actually, actually have a problem with the fact that the mayor of Detroit is, at least from some sort of outside perspective, perhaps guilty of a laundry list of crimes. He just doesn't want it to be so visibly known, like by making him wear the prison garb. He didn't want him to be at the Democratic Convention wearing a, a tether, a GPS tracking device, right? So then this other judge, literally like an hour later, hears an emergency repeal and says... Wait a minute! You can't rule that 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 bail uh, that you were list, you were you know dealing with the mayor with one case, but that tether device and the uh, no travel order was the result of a bail agreement on a different case. You can't overturn my bail agreement, and, and so that judge said, "Uh, uh-uh, you got to put the tethering device back on." And you know what? I'm not going to let you go to the Democratic convention anyway, even though you are a super delegate. You know, I got to tell you, somewhere, uh, Marion Barry is smiling because it's all relative, my friend. And you know that guy looks that, that guy looks unbelievably angelic at this very moment. Good so. reference. All right. Well, there you go. Um, except to say this: that just given this guy's alleged propensity for violating any number of laws, like allegedly, and then as as soon as he's sort of like out and free and walking around, he finds some other way to get into trouble. I mean, it just. Maybe he's, he's, in my head, I just keep picturing uh, Morgan Freeman just going, all I can think of are ways to violate my parole, so maybe they'd send me back. So, <laughs> All right. Um, he does like wearing five-button suits. It takes a special kind of person to wear the five-button suit coat. I suppose. All right. This, uh, you know, just, we're living in one big crazy house, my friend. All right. Uh, I know you got a busy day. I will let you go. We will talk to you in the immediate future, sir. 
Speak to you guys soon. All right, there you go. CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, who vaguely remembers Hands Across America. Remembering Hands Across America more than a trifle vaguely uh, from KUFO. Lisa Wood, hello. I, I actually didn't remember it, really, until yesterday. <laughs> it all came something flooding back like a, like a clergy <laughs> I was, molestation. I was. I was sitting in my desk, and I'm listening, and then I hear you talk about it, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, God. Let's see I if I have that. the... Uh, let's see if I have the actual <laughs> song here. Uh, let's see. I don't need to hear it again. Oh, no, everybody needs to hear it again. So yesterday we did top five forgotten benefit songs, and this was the... Uh... I don't think I even realized there was a song. Oh, no, it's a terrible... See, the thing is, I remember the song and the event sort of on the sort of on the periphery. Did I... you partake in the no, event? No, that's the thing. See, I... No, there wasn't no hands across Kennewick. <laughs> There's no... no... It was across America. Kennewick I know. America, right? no, and the, the, the video was just... It's this terrible song sung by a performer who is unknown to... I have no idea yeah, who this is. And see, and then it's just a bunch of, like, grubby-faced children going, I, uh, I'm homeless. Yes, I had to eat a box of dirt, you know. And, you guys are heartless. No, I'm just, I'm just saying, seriously. Mock starving children. I'm not mocking starving children, but no. I'm saying, how is that going to be helped by having a bunch of nitwits, no offense, link hands across America and just oh. stand there in the sun? I was nine. I didn't have a choice. My it's, mom dragged us all up there. We were saying the thing yesterday, all of these benefits were sort of like the underpants gnomes. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, step one, join hands. Step two, question mark. Step three, poverty over. Yeah. Like, there's really no, there's no explication of how you get from A to Z with these benefits. All I knew was I had to hold some stranger's hand, and it was creepy, and I didn't understand so where what were you the living? hell was going on. Uh, I lived in Huntington Beach, California, right around the corner from a riverbed. And so... <laughs> which is like a giant bike trail. <laughs> And everybody lined up on the bike trail. And so your mom was like, get out of bed. you got to go hold hands for, yeah. for the hungry. It's a good cause. And I just now realized it was for the hungry. I don't think I even knew that. How long did you have to actually stand there with your hands linked? It was a lot of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and That's it stupid. really bad. I just remember, like, wow. I want to go play with my friends. Why am I holding this creepy lady's hand? Seriously. Meanwhile, you're just standing there. Just oh, you couldn't move. Shifting uncomfortably from foot to foot. I think some people swayed. Like, it was retarded. It's just, it's dumb. And I mean, they were supposed to, it was supposed to be, I think, from New York to Los Angeles or you know what, some such. You sometimes some... wonder if it's for the benefit or for the PR. Well, and, I, and I'm and i now, even in retrospect, I'm unclear uh, about whether it was actually supposed to be one big chain or was it going to be a bunch of little chains that were representative of a big chain? Like, if we make it happen in enough cities, people will think we did it all the way across the country. Hey, Richie Bristol, we should find the guy who organized Hands Across America. Do it. He can't be that busy. Just Him find and the, the guy from Hearing Aid. I want to, <laughs> which I thought was a hearing benefit thing. I thought it was for deafness. What is no, it? What? it, it I thought so, too. See? Isn't your, it for, like, saving your ears? In your face, you bastards. Uh, no, I, that's what I said yesterday. We were playing, uh, let's see, where did it look like? It was like? all the guys with mullets and Aquanet. It was, uh, and Kevin Dubrow from Quiet Riot was sort of the, uh, he was right there with Ronnie James Dio on the mic for a lot of it. Um, he was the Bob Geldof of it. Seriously, I have this right here. Um, and we were playing this yesterday. Yeah. Is this uh, Rachel McGrath? I scheduled her at 50. Okay, so this may be where we'll get to Rachel McGrath in a few. So we were playing this yesterday. This is Stars, which is by Here in Aid. And, and that's what it was for, right? Which is Ronnie James Dio. That would make sense. Kevin DeBrow, Don <laughs> Dawkin, Jeff Pate from Queensryche, <laughs> like Rudy Sarzo. Just like a whole laundry list of like yeah. 80s sort of B The B, metal answer B to uh, Band-Aid. Exactly. See, and I thought it was to like keep kids, you know, metal dudes from going deaf. Yeah. A perfectly reasonable aim. So I said that yesterday. This guy puts his huge screed uh, on my on my. MySpace page. I mean, you know, which is the sort of thing that, you know, it, it came from the right place, but he was yeah. like, Rick, I am so disappointed in you. 
It's for, for thinking. He was, God damn it, it's not for hearing loss. Oh, Apparently, it is, in fact. And this is how great my audience is. <laughs> you go to my MySpace page, and this guy in the audience was so incensed that I thought it was for <laughs> hearing loss. He dug up his copy of this album. Oh, no. Scanned the back of it and posted it on my MySpace blog. Wow. And it's like, it's a metal benefit for hunger. It was their answer to We Are the World, because oh. Dio was all pissed off that they didn't invite any hard rock guys to be on We Are the World. Well, that's a horrible name, then. Yeah, and he's like, we'll do our own. You know, and then they just, uh, and then it's like, it's this. So, wow. anyway, and I'm a sucker for anything that has Kevin DeBrow in quiet I'm with life. you. I thought it was uh, promoting earplugs. There you go. That's what I'm saying. Right. And you know music. All right. Uh, Viva La Luna, Sunday nights, 9 to 11? Uh, 9 to 10. Yeah, 9 if to 10. If only it was 9 to 11. 9 to 10. Rock 101 KUFO. Thank All right, you Lisa Wood, thank you so much. Bye, All right. All right, it's 503-733-297. Okay, see, so that's the thing where it's like, if both of us were wrong, then it makes it a little more acceptable that I was wrong. Because I really felt, I, I felt I was all, I was horrified that I had been so, uh, that I had been so ill-informed. Well, it seems like it would just make sense. Here in aid. Yeah. I mean, all right. Oh, whatever. I'm going to move on. I'm not going to dwell on it any longer. Wait a minute. This bar is really good. Dwell for just a second. And I'm done. Okay, see, isn't, isn't that great? Mm-hmm. And I know that the Snickers Crunch Bar is maybe undersampled in this uh, country of ours. And I, I really am the only person I know who's ever even had it. Uh, I think I tried to get my wife to start eating them at one point because there was a time when I was eating like one a day. And I'm not much of a sweets guy, as you know, but it's just that it was sort of a texture thing more than anything else. And she didn't really cotton to it. And, uh, you know, most people, I don't even know if they make it anymore because I kind of, I quit eating it because I was, you know, uh, I quit eating it. And I don't I even know if they make them. They're really good. Well, it's, it's that. I mean, the Snickers Crunch Bar is exactly the same as that. Anyway, shall we welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles? Oh, God. I don't have it. All right. I'm let sorry, me, that's we just okay. put it in the system. No, that's fine. Let me just, uh, uh, let me kill time by playing the sound of the weightlifting guy snapping his elbow. Oh, no, that's terrible. Oh, he's dislocated. That's just awful. Yes. Yes, it is. I had to look really hard for that audio today, by the way, and we are a news organization. All right, are we ready? No. You know how slow CBS... Hold on. Seeing a radio correspondent, Rachel McGrath. Hi, I suck. Well, I guess it's better than nothing. Aiming for adequate, Rachel. That's what we do. And failing every time, Rick. Well, okay. Okay. It's okay. It's all right. No, 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 no. We have we have phasers set to middling. Uh, all right. Well, we were ruminating earlier about uh, John Cusack, and I misread it initially and thought that somebody was stalking Joan Cusack, which seems highly unlikely. Uh, and then we were sort of creating a list of celebrities that nobody would ever want to stalk. Uh, here's what we came up with so far: Carrot okay. Top. Uh, how about this? Stalking Gilbert Gottfried. Stalking Clint Howard. Stalking Dan Rather. Uh, we've also got this one: Stalking uh, Rick Emerson. Wah, wah. Uh, so this was somebody stalking John Cusack, and I was noting uh, as we sort of began uh, today's uh, the program that it seems to me there's two types of people who are going to stalk John Cusack. Um, you got a the women who stalk him because they think he's exactly like the characters in his movies and therefore dreamy, and you got b dudes who would stalk him because they think he's just like me. He thinks all the same thoughts I do. I, we could hang out and chill, and smoke a bowl. So uh, was the person stalking John Cusack from either of these categories? The first, I think. All right. Yeah. Um, and although uh, she was deemed um, psychotic well, by um, a, a court, a court-appointed psychiatrist, the judge still says she's mentally competent to stand trial. So there you go. And so this is in, and this is in Los Angeles proper? 
Yeah, basically, this woman, um, she's 33 years old. She's called Emily Leatherman, and she's been um, hounding John Cusack for at least two years because in 2006 he got a restraining order against her. Um, and she was found outside his home in Malibu in April, and um, he called the cops, and they arrested her for being in violation of that restraining order. And basically, she, she was, she's just known as somebody who hangs around in the Santa Monica, Malibu area. She is um, seen as something of an itinerant, and... Uh, and this has been an ongoing thing for John Cusack for, as I say, for at least a couple of years. Well, stalking is, I mean, it's not like it was ever a, a trivial thing, but stalking's no joke in Los Angeles ever since Rebecca Schaefer got killed. I mean, that's a, they, you know, to stalk somebody there, they, they throw the book at you. Well, they do. I mean, there's Rebecca Schaefer. Do you remember that case with Steven Spielberg where the guy planned to break into his home and kidnap him and hold him um, hostage? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it, it, the, the authorities take this very, very seriously. It, it, there are, you know, a lot of stalkers. We only hear about the ones that actually end up going to trial, but, you know, quite often celebrities will be able to get restraining orders against people. And it's, it's one of those nightmares of, of celebrity is because you're in the movies or on television and people read about you in the magazines, uh, people think they know you. And they think that, that, you know, if they could just meet you, particularly like women, you know, they could meet you, um, they'll fall in love with you and realize that you're the one for them. So it's, uh, <laughs> this is what happens. This is what drives them to try and not only meet them, but become their friends. I saw, actually, it's sort of easy to get uh, sort of snarky about celebrities who are very, maybe sort of standoffish. But I saw um, an interview with Fran Drescher, of all people, who uh, is, uh, can, it can sometimes be challenging to listen to her talk for long periods of time. But, but Fran Drescher was being interviewed and, and somebody was saying, somebody was complaining that they would come up and somebody would have a camera out. They would approach her with a camera and she would, you know, she would get very angry about it. And like, and that she would have a, a person with her, like they have handlers who would shove the camera person away. And somebody said, well, what's that about? And, and she made a point that I hadn't really thought of. She said, you know, when somebody reaches into their pocket or they bring out something in their hand, maybe it's a camera, maybe it's not. If they have the, if they can get close to you and reach into their pocket and pull out a camera from a foot away, you know, they can be pulling out something else from a foot away, like a gun. Uh, you know, and maybe that's overreacting, maybe it's not, but it is, it, you, it is weird in America, uh, and maybe everywhere, but especially, I think, in, in this culture where just even the tiniest bit, and John Cusack's a big, a big movie star, but I mean, just the tiniest bit of celebrity, especially if you've been on television, and you're right, it's just, uh, man, it's like sending out some, it's like sending out some invisible dog whistle for crazy people, and they just appear. Yeah. So, all right then. Yeah. Uh, all right, so just attempting here to make a, uh, to make a purse out of a sow's ear, we will close this out correctly. Ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for having been with us. May the rest of your day be satisfying. Uh, may your encounters with all other people be pleasant. And may your contact with stupidity be limited, Rachel McGrath. And we look forward to speaking with you at some point in the very near future. And I look forward to it, too. All right, there you go. Rachel McGrath, see you in Los Angeles. Thank you, Rachel. Excellent. Fantastic. <sighs> you know what it is? We made a have out of a have-not right there. What we we do, have around so rarely that I always forget that it's not in the system. I gotta, I gotta just record it and put it in the system one of these days. I, uh, I've, I've bookmarked it, so now I shall have it. Nobody's fault but mine, Sarah. No, it's mine. Uh, All on the side of the table. Excellent, good. Uh, Rick, I clearly remember my best friend wanting to find out where we could stand to participate in Hands Across America in La Grand. Needless to say, it didn't happen. Uh, oh, this is from Sean, who made the here and post. He says, come on, I wasn't that snarky. I mean, it, no, it's fine. You know, it's the best kind of snark. Uh, it was from somebody who's a, a, a... Who genuinely cares. A, somebody who genuinely cares and a metal fan who was calling me out and getting something wrong. So I do feel better that Lisa thought all this time thought it was like a here and aid thing, too, because she's a, you know, a rock girl from way back. Um, I mean, it's totally what I... But he... I don't even... I See, here's the thing. I didn't even remember there was a full album. I thought it was like just the one single. Although now that I think about it, 
not only was there a whole Hearton Aid album, uh, which I do believe had like some bad kiss. I think it had like some bad kiss song on it, like a. I think it had like you, you the heavens on fire or something. Or, um, but I do think that there was actually now. I mean, I'm remembering this, and I think there might have been a whole uh, We Are the World album. I mean, not just a single. I'm not ready to swear to that, but it does seem likely now there that is, I... There is a whole album. But with the rest of We Are the World, that album possibly can... What songs would be on such an album? Jeff Weaver has that album. Really? Mm-hmm. He has. He collects all of... Because he has billions of records, and he's, he collects um, those kind of records, too. I, okay, at some point... Uh, you got to borrow that from him. Okay. Uh, because I, I want to know what's on the We Are the World uh, record. I listened for my uh, to that record that I was telling you I got at CD Game Exchange. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Music, and, music to help you quit smoking. It is ridiculous. If anything, it makes you want to smoke more. Because it's just, now this is, we should describe this. So this is a record you found at CD Game Exchange, and it's vintage vinyl from yes. the 60s? I th- yeah, from uh, 1964. How much you pay for it? $2. Excellent. And I looked at it on eBay, and it's on eBay for $30. And it's called Music to Quit Smoking? M- music to Help You Quit Smoking. And the front is like this cool black and white photo of, I don't remember what it is. And it's but... like a lady's hand stubbing out a cigarette. Yeah. And yeah, there's like a candle, and it's a black and white, like, you know, scenery. And so what is the actual music on this record? The, musical, the music is all, it's by living Strings, I guess that's the name of the people. Oh, it's like a re- oh, that's a total like those Reader's Digest records mm-hmm. that I own. Yeah, and so they're covering a bunch of songs, and uh, it's just a whole bunch of string music that totally reminds you of some like loungy, like smoky lounge, which totally makes you want to smoke. Seriously, makes you want to smoke like and drink. Bourbon in one hand, you know, cigarette in the other. You can't <laughs> listen to it any other way. I was listening to this, I'm like, this is really neat, but it's doing the exact opposite of what it's supposed to. Uh, let me see here. Um, speaking of that, real quickly before we break, let me see if I can. There's something I'm going to rustle up here. Um, here's an email. Uh, let's see. It's about stalking uh, Rachel McGrath. We won't read that one just now. Thanks. Uh, let's see if I can find this. Um, give me just one moment. If I, see if I can see if this is the sort of if this is the music you're talking about. I mean, this general type of music. Let me see if I can find this. In the meantime, uh, Seamus emails. You, this is a, you just reminded me of this email because we were talking about Mad Men with Peter Carlin, and I think Sarah Wagner was saying this morning she'd never seen it. She wouldn't know if she could watch it, and maybe it wouldn't be her cup of tea. But uh, I think anybody who works in, in sales right now probably would appreciate watching Mad Men. Let's see if I've got. Um, do I have my uh, Do I have my Reader's Digest best of strings music? Hold on. Maybe not. I may not have this. Let me see if I only try this. I have all these at home. I have these. Uh, I have these huge uh, Reader's Digest box sets, and it's always like hits of today. You know, conducted by blah 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 and his orchestra, and it's all just a bunch of like bad string renditions of like whatever sort of sort of standards or something. Exactly what it was. Let's see if I can get this to play. This would be. Uh, well, this is maybe a little more upbeat. Yeah, that's a little more layered. This one's pretty basic. Let's see. Let's see if I can try one more here. This is Ed Ames performing My Melancholy Baby. He used to be Mingo. What? What does that mean, he used to be Mingo? He was Mingo on Daniel Boone. He played in India. So, kind in of, the ballpark? Yeah, a, a little more like. Sh- I don't even know what schmaltzy means, but it seems like it'd be a little more schmaltzy, like a little jazzier. A little smokier. It totally makes you want to smoke. It does. Yeah. It no, I'm. It indeedly does. Absolutely. All right. Let's see if I can get this email. Uh, my my email's been a little wonky over here. Uh, and this is from speaking of smoking and drinking and and smoking and drinking and all that jive. Um, I'll give it like five seconds here, and if I can't get this email to open, then we'll just uh, we'll move on, and I'll read it later. Two, three, four. For the love of. 
Oh, God! Fine. You know, as soon as we go to break, the email's going to open. That's fine. We'll take a break. Come back after this. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth around the corner. Uh, later on, we will talk to CNN Radio correspondent Ed McCarthy. Later on, top five. Top five guilty pleasure songs from terribly named artists. Uh, it's also High Concept Thursday. Uh, let's see. Uh, other things. Oh, Jock Watch and I believe Dorothy Carcassari uh, coming up later on today. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Oh, yeah. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Okay, so here's... I found that email. Of course. Uh, here's that email about the... About Mad Men. This is from Seamus. He says, let me find... Let's see if I can find some appropriate music for this. So I can get this to play. All right. And this, by the way, let's see if I can... If this will, if this will fire up here as I, as I read the email. I found this. This is from... The Good Housekeeping Living Room Cocktail Collection. Uh, this is the 101 Strings Orchestra. This is the way you look tonight. Uh, so anyway, we got this. The, the Seamus says, ah, that's great. Well, thanks so much. Thank you, Internet. It was inspiring. Thanks uh, for, for just a, for, for the briefest of moments. Uh, Rick, I just finished the first season of Mad Men. What a fantastic show. What I wouldn't give to have lived in that decade. No computers, IBM electric typewriters, secretarial pools, smoking indoors. I don't even smoke, but who cares? Drinking at the office? He says, I do drink at work, but I work at home, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Men didn't cry. Women didn't flinch at the slightest nod of interest. If Mad Men had aired when I was a kid, I would have wanted to grow up to be just like Don Draper. Watching Mad Men just reminds me how much more fun life used to be before we were around. Damn. And how many times do you watch Mad Men and see something and say, oh, God, my grandparents had that in their house. I remember seeing that lamp, artwork, television, typewriter, sofa, whatever, every day as a kid. And that does happen to me, by the way. Um, it's like when I went to that Atomic Age uh, exhibit. Uh, the, oh, yeah, the, that the, was fantastic. And, and, which is we, and not only stuff my grandparents has, the freaky thing at that Atomic Age exhibit is it was actually something that my mom used to have. We, there was a toaster there that, my, that I had growing up because my parents had never got rid of everything, uh, of anything. They just kept everything around forever. So I was there and I saw this toaster that was like right out of my childhood, uh, my childhood home. Here's just one more thing. Here's I can get. I don't know if this is the same uh, one that I have at home. I do believe this is the. Uh, I do believe this is this guy is Bob Ralston. We were just talking about Sarah and this music to uh, to quit smoking by. Bob Ralston, who was the piano player for the Lawrence Welk Orchestra. I love stuff like this. That weird electronic organ. I can drive around for hours listening to classical music. Yeah. I love it. There's something especially great about that kind of that weird, not even a Wurlitzer, but oh yeah, whatever that you hear that, that yeah. the way that quavery kind of electric keyboard. In L.A., they had this guy named Corla Pandit, who had this thing wrapped around his head and played, and there were clouds in the background superimposed. Yeah. Is there Just some of the ladies? This is a specific kind of keyboard or organ. I don't really know what it is exactly. I got a vinyl albums by this guy at home, this Bob Ralston guy, and it's just this. It's like this arrangement of standards, and I find it sort of strangely compelling and soothing at the same time. I don't really know why that is. It's like that organ that your grandmother used to have in her house that had all those weird, like, like those light up, flippy switch things that you would use in oboe, zither. Samba rhythm. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, the mellow sounds of Tim Riley. 
It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Let's see if I can find... It might take me a couple of minutes to find some Corla Panda music. But uh, let's see. Some of the top stories we're following right now. A 44-year-old man is in jail following a scuffle. It all started in a low-speed chase. Oops, hang on a minute here. All started in a low-speed chase. Uh, Northeast Marine Drive shortly after midnight. They pursued him to MLK Boulevard and Roselon Street, where they managed to stop him with a pit remover. Oh, a pit maneuver. A pit remover. The man then allegedly struggled with the cops. They arrested him. He had minor injuries. Another driver was slightly hurt when police struck his car during the chase. What is the point of a slow-speed chase? Be a man. Speed. Yeah. I mean, they, they really. I mean, if you're going to be evading, if you're going to be evading the cops, if you're on the, if you're, if you're lambing it from the heat, the fuzz, Johnny Law, the man. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like. What is the point of committing allegedly committing some crime? Then you're on the run, and you're gonna you're gonna get in a car. It's not even running. I want if you're if you're running. If you're on a Segway, you're going 12 miles an hour. Okay, that's one thing. If you're going to get in a car, and then the fastest you can lead the cops in a chase is like 14 miles an hour, it really, you ought to just you ought to be put in a hole just for that. What kind of a man are that's you? That's what I'm saying. Buy some damage if you're going to do it. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, either, either lead the cops on a chase or don't lead the cops on a chase. Don't get in a car and then go faster, you know, you know, they go, you know, no faster than you could walk. It's just pointless. Okay, I think I found something for you. Right. This is uh, Cola Pandit. And all things to be desired are not to be compared unto it. We bring you musical gems from near and far, blended into a pattern of glorious harmony. I love this. Where do you see him? This is before Liberation. based on the universal language of music, it is our pleasure to present to you Corla Pandit. Pretty ladies? He looks like um, uh, uh, Ruta Valentino. Yeah. He's a guy wearing, like, what is it, like a, a turban or whatever with, like, uh-huh. a, the, the jewel in the front of it, and then he's wearing, like, some sort of a wrap, like a robe. Wow. That's a thing you don't see anymore. No. That's fantastic. And that would, where would that air? That was on uh, KGO TV San Francisco and KTLA Los Angeles, and I think it would national. That really is. See, I would absolutely have that on in the background if that were airing now. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like I want to live in the past. As we always say, the past kind of sucks. Yeah. Uh, and the present is better, and the future is going to be better still. But there are certain things from the... there. It's not even that it, the past is better in any way. It's just there are fluctuations, ebb, flow, up, down, crest, trough, whatever. There are just things that come into fashion, and then they just sort of vanish. Uh, and you really got to go dig them up again because they're not going to come. They're, they're not going to naturally recur. Uh, and that's one of those things you could. You, I mean, you couldn't have a television channel now that just ran uh, ran some guy in a turban playing the organ for two hours. I mean, really, this is, be, it would just be absurd. They'd laugh at you. So uh, that's a thing. You just they don't they don't they don't do it like that anymore. So anyway, it's going to be 100 degrees today and tomorrow. And to make matters worse, natural gas prices are going down. But Northwest natural rates are going up. Now, uh, long-term contracts are responsible for this apparent contradiction. Spot prices of natural gas have dropped 40% since early July, and some experts say the price will go lower as new technology makes it possible to extract more gas. Northwest Natural says it'll ask for a rate increase in November. They already got one. Didn't they get a rate increase of like 30%? Yeah, they're really screwing everyone. And now they want 40%. 40% on top of the 30? Yeah. All right. Basically, it already went up. 
I'm using no gas. All right, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find my center. I'm trying to find my. It's too early in the program just to be apoplectic about something. So, uh, All right. yeah, they're, well, they're, what, they're what, not out for your. Uh, what can you do? Nothing actually. So uh, let me tell you about these uh, Oregon sword ladies. They're in the Olympics. Day after they dominated the world field by sweeping all three medals, the U.S. women's saber team added bronze to their collection with a third-place finish in the team competition. Now, what is this? Is this fencing? Yes. Okay, so I thought in fencing it was a rapier or whatever that thing is, or a sword or something, but it's a saber? It's a saber. All right. Mariel Zagunis of Beaverton, Sayla Jacobson, and Becca Ward, also of Beaverton, swept the uh, saber medals over the weekend. Saber. I barely knew her. So in team fencing, the three fenders, uh, fencers for each team rotate every nine rounds. So uh, the Beaverton lady kept, kept on winning. Over on the west side, big crashes on Highway 26 this morning. You may have been struck in it. Uh, an overturned truck on Highway 217 near Walker Road closed multiple lanes of the highway in both directions. The cra- crash backed up traffic for more than an hour. Less than an hour after the crash was reported, another wreck closed uh, lanes of Highway 217 at Greenberg Road. Then on Highway 26... There are multiple lane closures near uh, Cedar Hills Boulevard because of a different crash. So it was quite a mess for anyone trying to get over here from the west side over the weekend. Oh, yesterday, I, I should say. For the uh, first few hours this fall, it'll be 1978 all over again at South Fork Ranch in Dallas, Texas. The surviving cast members of the primetime soap opera Dallas will hold a reunion in November to celebrate the 30th anniversary. Organizers have commitments from Patrick Duffy, Linda Gray, and J.R. Ewing himself. Larry Hank. Now, this is the 30th anniversary of what? Uh, let's see. The launch? I guess so. Yeah. Maybe. You know, can I just tell you this? Yeah, you, here's the thing that makes me a bad American and a bad chronicle of American popular culture. Can I confess something awful here? Mm-hmm. It pains me to do this. You yeah. never watched it. Almost. Well, it's not just that. The, the, almost a, a, the, the visceral agony that is caused by this. You don't care. It's not well. It's not even that I don't care. Obviously, I do care because it's causing me some. It's causing me agita. I don't know who shot Jr. Do you? No. Because isn't that the thing you're supposed to know in this country? Because there's a whole deal, like the whole. Wor- well, everyone had that bumper sticker on. But I mean, the world. Like a Who Killed Laura Palmer. Exactly. Thing? But it, it, yeah, it is. It is the very good reference. It is the Who Killed Laura Palmer of uh, whatever 1982 or whenever that was uh-huh. but literally but because of course in 1982 there were even I mean you know not like when Twin Peaks was on there were tons of viewing options but there were even fewer in, in the early 80s I mean there was you had three channels that was it no cable no nothing so everybody in the entire country uh, was caring about uh, caring about who shot JR it was a huge mystery and so JR got killed and then it was it was I mean it was it, it it was it's impossible to explain exactly how much we as a country cared about the stupid issue of who shot a fictitious Texan uh, so and then and now I don't even remember who it was. I I want I think it was a chick, but I don't remember exactly who. We're gonna have fifty thousand people call and tell us now, which is fine because I guess it's one of those things I ought to know as a good American, but I I really don't. So I do know this. I do remember this little bit of a trivia that when they went to do the uh, I Dream of Jeannie movie, which was in about nineteen eighty six. Larry Hagman was not able to uh, reprise his role as Admiral Nelson because they felt that he was so closely identified with the character of J.R. Ewing, audiences would not be able to watch him and enjoy him. Oh. Because he was, you know, because uh, you know, the whole swath of America, Rubes, 
who would watch Dallas, and then, of course, they were just incapable of separating him from his character. And Larry Hagman tells these great, terrible stories about going out in public and having, like, eggs thrown at him. Like, he'd walk out the front door and somebody like, Jr. wham! And they'd hit him right in the face with, you know, with, a, with something. Uh, just because they were just, he was, he blended so seamlessly with that character. Uh-oh. Hundreds of thousands of AT&T wireless customers lost service this morning in Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And this could last as long as 48 hours. Some customers experienced drop calls. Some could not send or receive text messages. Others couldn't even get a signal. Who is this? AT&T wireless mm. customers. I'm one of them. Uh, let's see. A limited number of customers were getting calls in and out, although it was intermittent. This included customers with a 3G network that connects the Apple iPhone. AT&T uh, technicians are working on the problem, described only as a network outage. It could be linked to a down tower. That sounds like a made-up story. Well, that's one of those things where, they, where they're so purposely vague about it. It's yeah, a really short. network outage of some kind. Rather than just say, that's like when Google was saying they were having uh, intermittent connection issues. Uh-huh. As opposed to saying like 100 million people couldn't check their email for like two hours. That's sort of like when, the, that's like in Dave, when the president has a stroke and they call it a small circulatory issue of the head. Uh, let's see. What am I, uh, Richie, should I be answering any of these calls? Or should I just glower at them? Glower? Glower. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. I can get you halfway there. The part uh, of the person that shot Jr. was actually played by Janine Turner. Janine Turner. And so is that Patrick Duffy's wife's character? You know what I mean? The character of Patrick no. Duffy's wife? No, his wife was played by uh, the one that ended up getting proposed to by Andy Gibb on television. I'm like the Merv Griffin. Victoria Principal. Victoria Principal. Yes. Yeah, now I don't even know what we're talking about. So hold on, let me back up here. Andy Gibb proposed to Victoria Principal, who played the character of Patrick Duffy's character's wife. Correct. I'm amazed I was able to get that out. But none of those people shot Jr. Correct. The, per- the person that shot Jr. was being played by Janine Turner, and it was somebody's sister. I- I- it actually might have been Linda Gray's sister, who was Jr.'s wife. Ah! Yep. All right. Thanks. I'm sorry. It's a little bit of a circuit overload there. Well, Best somebody. Thank you. I appreciate Bye. it. Somebody will clarify it further. That that was just too much to die. But I mean, but how impressive was it that a he got all that out and b I did that whole sort of like daisy chain of character information there without screwing it up even once. All right, it's Tim it Riley. still didn't help the situation. No, it didn't. We're no closer to answer than we were before, Tim. But as you know, it's always forward motion here. It is. Oregonians are coping with the rising gasoline prices by doing less driving. The total number of miles driven in the state fell by 5.5 percent for June, uh, from June of last year to June of this year. That's a steeper decline than the national average of 4.7%. Many of those miles are now reserved on mass transit. See, I don't think that... Well, I'm not going to say it's not true. Well, see, but I was reading an article in the Willamette Week, and they say that it's exactly... That, it, that it's untrue. They say that the amount uh, of miles being driven uh, by uh, Oregonians is exactly the same. But then that raises the question, how do they even know? Yeah. Not like all the roads have those little bumpity-bump cables on them. I mean, it's like, how would you how would you even determine if that was the case? So it says here, TriMet readership rose in the same period. That's made up. From 8.1 million passengers to 9.2 million. That may not be made up. They're just trying to justify the fact that they're increasing the rates of buses and everything. However, how can they figure that out? Because there are barely any ticket inspectors on the max. There are no cops, of course, as promised. No, you're right. I mean, that, that probably... There's nobody inspecting anything. It's probably just a fictitious uh, statistic. Maybe, maybe what they're doing, maybe they're doing like a representative sampling. You know, where they, you know, you know. In other words, they have. Where like last year, they went on like the number fourteen bus on a Tuesday, and they said, "Well, it's fourteen people." Uh, and then this year, they went on the number fourteen bus on a Tuesday, and they said, "Well, there's seventeen people." Therefore, TriMet ridership is up by 
you know, whatever, like, uh, you know, 32% or whatever the hell it is. Uh, all right. Uh, and so forth. Oh, wait, here's somebody who knows all about your uh, your uh, your organ playing guy, Tim. Uh, hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, Rick. This is Sky. Hello there. Um, I, I just about swallowed my tonsils when I heard um, Tim say Corla Panda. I hadn't, I've never run across anybody else that heard of him. I was beginning to think I had imagined him. That's the purpose of this show. It's uh, it's no, to make you feel less alone with all of the unimportant minutia in oh, your head. That, that was fantastic. Why well, do we try to please everyone? Here. Now, did you ever, now did you watch, uh, what was it, Corlet? Corla Panda. Corla Panda. Corla Panda. Did you watch him? Oh, yeah. And was it, uh, I mean, how long was it, like half an hour, an hour? How long to go? I believe it was a half hour. A half hour. And it was like black and white. Now, was it just like a static shot of him, or did the camera sort of move around? What what happened exactly oh. while he was playing this music? All I can tell you is he had the most gorgeous eyes I have ever seen on <laughs> any person in my life. It is. He did have kind of a Rudolph Valentino thing going on. Oh, he was he was attractive, but his eyes were just hypnotic. Corla Panda, dead or alive, Tim? I think he's still alive. I think he got a new manager really? like a year ago. Oh, my God. If he's still alive, he's got to be... We have to bring him to town. I was just going to say, we got to get him on the show. Party. No, All right. he, he was fantastic. And uh, I never watched Dallas. And somebody should give uh, uh, Ricky um, a downer, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. He's kind of surly today. This call, Richie Bristol Richie, is? Richie, yeah. All right. Well, we'll give him a good beating instead. How about that? That would be fine. All right. Thank you. There you go. That beating would be fine. You know what's crazy? I'm going to let's call a We're going to go beat Richie Bristol. That'll be fine. <laughs> Best audience you ever. You were a little insane yesterday, too. But first, smoke gets in your eyes. Uh Let's see. We should bring him in. Fists get in your face. Uh, hey, Richie Bristol, are you surly today? Do we want to have him come in or not? Well, he'll be here eventually. We might as well get it over with. Richie, please come into the studio. All right. What does that mean? Have you heard that Lycus promo? Where Lycus, there's some idiot stoner calling, and Lycus says, you sure, you sure are witty, son. And the guy goes, witty? What are you talking about, witty? What does that mean? Hello, Richie Bristol. Hello. How are you today? What's going on, Richie? She uh, said you're a little surly, a little, uh, a little grumpy. Grumpy? Yeah. Is that what that means? Surly means, well, more or less, yes. Yeah, surly more or less means grumpy. I'm not grumpy. My feet are sticky. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Why are your feet sticky? Because I'm not wearing any socks with these Crocs. Are you wearing your Crocs? You're wearing Crocs with no socks. That's an unfortunate rhyme. I'm sorry. I've never done that before. I always wear socks. Did, be nobody's supposed you shouldn't to... wear Crocs, period. They're, they're horrible shoes. Those are the worst fashion statements of the last awful. 10 years. They show the world you've given up. That's exactly it. Really, really? that is. That is I'm it. I'm sorry, anyone, any nice people. No, it's true. Crocs. It's true, though. No, it, you know who wears Crocs? Ron Who wears sweatpants? And nurses, and thank God Lara does not. She bucks that trend, but nurses wear Crocs a lot. Uh, so, Ron yeah, Jeremy wears Crocs. Remember? You know, but he's Ron Jeremy. He, he looks he's like Ron a hedgehog Jeremy. to begin with. What are you going to do? Plus, uh, the rules are different for Ron Jeremy. Um, yeah, th th no, I concur with Sarah on this. Crocs show the world that you have given up in every way. And plus, you can buy them like in line at Fred Meyer, or, like at Eddie Payless, you know, for like two dollars. No, it also shows that your footwear isn't important one. to you. And you also, it also, by the way, do you know that the, there's an entire they make and manufacture and sell a specific like a stench remover just for Crocs because they're so notorious for smelling bad. I mean, not just for shoes. I mean, they make I a thing smell. that is, they make, yes, but those <laughs> around you, can. they make a thing just for Crocs because they, put your oh Croc back God. on. Put that back on your foot this instant. For the love of God. Tim, does it stink? 
I'm not turning my head in that direction. Your feet are sticky. That's God's way of telling you. Croc and Tim Riley's face. <laughs> <laughs> That's a croc. That <laughs> Moving on. Uh, when your feet are sticky, that's the Lord's way of telling you that something that you, you, you need to cover that up or do something about that. That's too late. What now. made the? Let me ask you this. When you got up this morning, there was like a flow chart. You got out of bed and you looked at your shoes or your feet or whatever. You're getting dressed. In what order do you get dressed? I don't remember. Uh, I, I mean, do you have an order in which you put on your clothes? No, whatever order. Like, for me, it's find. always, you know, like jeans, uh, you know, like what, like a white undershirt or whatever, regular shirt, sock shoes. Uh, whatever I find first, I put on first, and then... Okay. Sometimes I... Never mind. Well, let me just... When you, when, you, when, you, when you got to the issue of your feet today, you looked down and you said, those are those Crocs. Maybe I'll put on socks, maybe I won't. Why did you choose no socks? Because the socks are downstairs, and I was upstairs, and I didn't want to go all the way downstairs to get socks. So I just put them on and walked out. Sarah's right. You've given up. You've just completely, you've seeded all, they're just, they're hideous. They're just vile. They're vile shoes, and I think less of people who wear them. And I know that I'm a guy sitting here talking about shoes, but let's be honest. We all know it's true. Uh, you think less of people that wear those shoes. Okay. Tim? But you may be happier yeah. if you didn't wear them. Great. So I mean, really, that is, of them now. let me just tell you, that is. And how much did you spend on those two pairs of Crocs? Well, these ones are 30 bucks. 30 dollars. You know, they're real. See, they have the crocodile on them. I won't take them off again. Well, I guess that makes it okay. <laughs> These are authentic Crocs. The real deal. Okay. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't even know where to go from here. I've got nothing. But you say that you're not uh, you're not grumpy today? No. Not at all? A little bit? A little hungover? Uh, no, I wet my pants last night. <laughs> I forgot about that. How I, would you... I, I bought these Versace... No, no, no. Stop. Let's uh, stop. Stop. Let's stop. <laughs> We're just no, no, everyone, no, no one, no one, no, no one, no one, no one, no, 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 just everybody take a moment. No one speak. We're just going to take, we're just going to take a second here before we do anything else. Before we move on, before we make another single observation about this, we're just going to take a moment. We're going to breathe in. We're going to breathe out. And we're just going to try to sort of regain control of everything. Okay. You what? When? I got this Versace belt. I, I should. I knew I should have brought it in. It's complicated. The belt, you know, you have to tighten it to get it to get it off. I know what a belt is. No, it has a special latch on it, and you pull it tight. And then oh, kind you, of like a watch clasp, kind of. Sometimes you, you have to fold it and then re and then attach it. Well, you pull it tight, and then you hit the thingy, and then you it loosens, and you can open it like a latch. All right, so so you have a belt on, but you got to tighten it a little bit. It's sort of like an airline door where you gotta uh, you gotta uh, 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 you gotta push it out then in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I got it on. I pull it tight, and it's not unlatching. All it does is click, click, tighter. So it's just getting tighter and tighter. And so I kept doing it, squeezing off your circulation. I kept on doing it, and I kept on just getting tight. What kind of pants were you wearing? Uh, some short jean shorts. You're wearing jean. Jean shorts with your Versace belt. That's exactly where you want to. And your Crocs. I like Crocs. That's exactly. Wow, you are just an accessory nightmare. Wow. So, uh, I feel like such a fashion plate sometimes. Uh, Sounds like the Barack fashion show. Jesus. So you're wearing Crocs, jean shorts, and a brand new Versace belt. 
You're trying to get the belt off, but as you pull the belt tighter, it's not unlatching. It's just cinching up tighter and tighter around your midsection. Uh-huh. Okay. Until finally it's digging into my skin, which right here I have marks to show. That the belt was digging? I'll take your, get your word on it. Yeah. And so I started yelling, and I called for my brother to help me because I was stuck. I couldn't breathe. <laughs> I had to pee. <laughs> I swear to God. And I couldn't breathe. I was holding it tight, and I, we couldn't get the latch, and my brother didn't want to get near my area. <laughs> well, who can blame him? <laughs> and then basically, uh, it was... So you call your brother in, and what did you say? You're like, hey, pull on this belt. And he was laughing at me because it was digging into my skin. <laughs> And then he's just like cut it off, and I'm like, "This is my Versace belt." It's like, oh, yeah, you want to ruin that on Samba? How much did you spend on that Versace belt? Oh, I don't know more than my sunglasses. How much <laughs> you spend on your sunglasses? Really? Two sixty nine or something like that. You spent over three hundred dollars on a belt. It's a Versace. It doesn't can you work. Tell? All right. Yeah, because it won't let you out. <laughs> but I mean, how can you tell it's a Versace? When you wear the belt, can the can casual onlookers see that it's a Versace belt? It's got like blue ebony. Uh, let me ask you this. Can the Braille, for frail, what do they call that? Braille, Braille, not Braille. Uh, shale. Ebony shale. You're making that up. No, there's shale, like ebony. Isn't that sh- ebony shale? Never mind. I don't know. When, ebony can the, shale. When the, when the average person looks you at your... With you? When the average person no. looks at your belt, can they tell it's a Versace belt? Yeah. You think? Yeah, it's Versace. Because of the ebony right. shale. All right, do you have it here? No. Oh, I was going to say, we're going to quiz some people in the building about that. I was going to cut it. Tim, do you think you could spot a, Ver- a Versace belt on site? I don't believe so, no. Sarah? I don't think so. I don't think I could. In my either. wallet. It's I could Versace. spot like a Fendi belt, probably, because if it, if it has a logo on it, perhaps. That's the thing, but a lot of those things, like you're paying for the brand and there's no logo. Okay, so you're... So the belt is being cinched, cinched tighter and tighter. You, your brother suggests that you cut the belt off because, you know, you can't breathe, and you won't because you paid $300 for a belt. <laughs> what then happened? Uh, How much just, were the jean shorts that you're holding, that the $300 belts are holding up? I don't know. $20, less than $40? They're Ralph Lauren because it says RL, my, my initials. Jesus. All right. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, okay, so, you can't, so the belt is cutting off your circulation. You won't cut the belt off because it costs $300, and meanwhile you can't breathe, and your brother doesn't want to get near your area. And I start laughing, and I started laughing hard, and I couldn't breathe. And then basically I figured out I was like I was pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, because I had to pee too, and I couldn't figure out what to do. And we were turning it inside out so you could see the inside of the belt. Why? <laughs> because I was looking. What well, purpose for that? So that just makes it tighter. So I could see the contraptions. I could figure out how to get it off. All right. And how did that work? Uh, I got a screwdriver. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh, to have you videotaped at all times. All right. So, so, so he fetches you a screwdriver. Okay. Well. That was after I went. That's going to be like one of those eyeglass screwdrivers. Uh, before we did that, though, I ran to the bathroom, and, you know, I got excited on the way to the bathroom and kind of wet my And wet your pants. <laughs> just a little. I half you I half, just a little, a little bit. Just half of it. And then I made Just it. half of it. Yeah. Half of your bladder's contents? Yeah. Maybe. A little less. Uh, all right. And so now, <laughs> let me understand this. So now, your belt is so tight, it's cutting into your skin. I got marks I can show you. And, please don't. And you, I can feel it right here. and your pants are wet, and you reek of urine. And plus, you still need help getting the belt off of you. <laughs> Ricky is wearing a three hundred dollar belt. I'm, I went, 
I was, oh man, I wouldn't, I couldn't breathe so hard. I was about to say, I'm just going to cut it. I'm just, give me a knife. I'm going to cut it. And then I was just, I had to hold myself. But then after I went to the bathroom, I didn't care as much because I could just. The not, issue of urgency was gone. Yeah. I could, I could handle not breathing, but. Uh huh. So what, what, uh, it's the pee that gets you, Richie. Uh -huh. So then who, he got a, like a jeweler screwdriver or something? No, he just got a butter knife. And then, well, you know, on the one side, you, always the, the the right instrument for the job. You go in with delicate force. Well, you know, on the belt on the one side where it has teeth usually and it holds on to right. the leather belt or whatever. This is totally like my old scout belt. That's exactly what this is. This is like the this is like the belt I had when I was a scout. I know exactly what you're talking about. So you're turning it inside, and then you took a butter knife and you unscrewed the belt from the inside. Yeah. Well, not unscrewed, but unlatched right. the part that hangs onto the leather. All right. Then you finally got the belt. It off. popped out, and then we examined the belt. And figured out how stupid I actually now, am. Now, here's the thing. Are you ever going to wear the belt again? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I trust it. I'll go to the bathroom first. <laughs> so, you have a $300 belt that you're now afraid to wear because you get trapped inside of it and you have no choice but to pee your pants. <laughs> no, I just have to have a zipper ready, open. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I wasn't... It was more about the squeezing on me. It hurt really bad. It was digging in my skin. Yes. Okay. Kind of got fat here. Okay, <laughs> so that might explain it. Maybe if you're feeling a little off today, or but perhaps if you're ever so slightly you need on to edge. Bring in this belt. Don't I will. Gonna, I'm I will. not going to be here tomorrow, but bring uh, it Monday. Yeah, bring it in Monday so we can examine it. Okay. Well, you put it on and then and try and take try it. to take it off. It's like a right. it's like a, a I think puzzle. It's a definite. It's, a, it's like there. a bamboo finger belt. Yeah, I'll wash it and everything. Yeah. All right. Oh, like, like the, the <laughs> finger traps. That's exactly what it is. All right. I, I washed it off. All right. Okay. Thank you, Richie Bristol. It was above the area, so it's clean. Please wash it anyway. <laughs> okay, thank you. All right, thank you, Richie Bristol, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my gosh! <laughs> this surreal experience is brought to you by Leafs Auto Collision Center. <laughs> <laughs> collision repair. Go to Leafs. dot com and see what Leafs can do for you. Wow! I didn't see that coming. Uh, neither did I. That's like but the. It's not uh, surprising. It's not, but I mean, that's like the resolution of the strip or the uh, the hooker, you know, with the rash and the whatever. Like, he is of all possible outcomes to that story, I did not see. Oh, and by the way, I wet myself last night. It's almost like we're not here. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's true. It really is. Jesus. All right, we should take a break. It's just like a bizarre reality show, and we just have front row seats. Good God. All right, uh, I'm going to come back after this and Reset. tackle everything from the beginning. Uh, Tim Riley returns around the corner. If you're on hold, hang tight. We'll get to your calls uh, here in just a few minutes. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, Ed McCarthy in the top five. Stay there. Wow. Tim and I were talking during the break about... Imagine what it must be like to live at Richie's house. And then you were noting that really his brother must just know he can't be gone for too long, right? Like you can't leave Richie unattended. It's like, a, you know. Especially if he buys a new accessory. Yeah, you're gone out of the house for more than 20 minutes. Who knows what you're going to find when you come home. Think about the number of things just that we know about that have only been... They've only been stopped from becoming worse by the appearance of Richie's brother. Were it not for Richie's brother, first of all, Richie would apparently be dead and stinking of urine from this belt business. And as Todd the Corpse noted here, he said, you know, honestly, who gets trapped in a belt? 
And when you call for it help... It was very complicated, but she said he's going to bring it in, and you're, you can't look at it, but you're supposed to put it on like a real belt and then see if you can get out of it. And then he says, when you call for help to get out of said belt, what exactly is the other person supposed to do? I don't really know the answer to that either. So, but without his brother, Richard would be trapped in a belt and, you know, reeking. Uh... And he ended up reeking anyway. And if it wasn't for his brother, Richie would have gone through with the uh, cyber sex with the uh, girl that was a guy. So, I mean, really, if it were not for his brother living there, Richie's life might be even worse than it already is sometimes. All right. Uh, by the way, this is about uh, this is about uh, uh, Coral Pandit. He had a half-hour syndicated show on weekends, uh, black and white. Uh, he played a Hammond B3, which is used on all kinds of rock songs. Met him once, weird dude, great eyes, did concert tours. He was one of the, wait for it, Criswell Vampira Ed Wood group. So he sort of uh, traveled in the same circles as Criswell and Vampira. I wonder if maybe, uh, I maybe wonder if maybe that's uh, him playing on some of that. I wonder if he did any of the music for any of the Ed Wood films. Oh, that is a good question. Be- I don't know that. Because he's playing, yeah, he's playing that kind of weird, spooky, kind of quavery mm-hmm. uh, sort of sort of organ music, and that sounds like a lot of the stuff that's in uh, some of those, you know. That would be from that same period of time. Yeah. All right. Well, see, now, now i got to figure it out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, it's Tim Riley. See, it's the more you know, you learn a lot on this program. It's true. This just in, a federal appeals court has rejected a challenge to Oregon's domestic partnership law approved by the legislature last year. Opponents had tried to collect enough initiative signatures to put the issue to a statewide vote, but Oregon Secretary of State Bill Bradbury ruled they didn't get enough. His ruling was challenged in a federal court, but a judge moments ago upheld Bradley's decision. In your face. Go away. All right. Take that, Hicks. Uh, then we have this... Swedish wrestler, an angry one, who throws his medal down. His name is Ira Abhemian. He threw down his uh, Greco-Roman bronze medal in protest after he thought it was politics that he lost. He he went for the gold and lost. So he throws this thing down during the uh, award ceremony. He says, I don't care about this medal. I wanted gold. So we have... Do we have the audio of him doing I this? I think so. Let's see what we have here. All right. This might take a second. All right. Den svenska brottaren Ära Abrahamian kastade under prisutdelningen sin bronsmedalj efter att ha vunnit mot fransmannen Ronald Monbi med 2-0. Get the bronze. Oh, Abrahamian var ursinnig efter att plötsligt ha blivit bort. Then well, it just less dramatic than I thought it would be, but he still, he still throws it on the mat, right? I hate it when people speak foreign languages. Exactly. <laughs> you speak for us all, Tim. Uh, so... What is this? When he gets the bronze, but he's just, what is he just being a baby? I wanted yeah. the gold. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I want to be tolerant. You shut your mouth. Seriously, I wanted the gold. F you. Get bent. Yeah, that's uh, what we all say. I mean, really, how'd you like to be this guy instead? Oh, no, that's terrible. Oh, he's dislocated. That's just awful. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Uh, by the way, uh, let's see, I've got the, so I've got, I've got that one. Do I have the, uh, did I bring the, did I bring the sort of the longer version of that? Let's see, shall we? I wonder if that's this right here. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. You know what it is there? It's like the it's like the yelp, then the then like the tearing, and then the and then the scream, and then the thump. Oh, oh, oh no! Oh, that's terrible! Oh no, that's terrible! Oh, he's dislocated. That's just awful. And the best part about this whole video is, as you noted yesterday, Tim, as soon as he does this thing of like, hey, my arm's gone all wonky and backward, immediately 
uh, a bunch of like sort of whatever handlers or sort of uh, stagehands or something for you know for the Chinese Olympic Committee. They immediately come in holding these things that look like little um like they're blocking a crime scene. Totally, they come in with like these things that look like little sawhorses or something, and they and they just immediately ring the guy so that no one can see him. Which you does some screens. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be laughing, but first of all, that I was like, happen very often that somebody tears their elbow out. <laughs> so people should be able to see it as an example of what not to do. Oh no, that's terrible. Oh, he's dislocated. That's just awful. <laughs> and I mean. It does not seem very sort of like the Chinese government. Sort of, this is exactly the kind of thing you would expect them to do, right? That like mm-hmm. the guys on the pavement or on the ground going like, ah! And Notice they, they don't help the guy first. No, they block off the view first and let <laughs> they're screaming. That's exactly it. They don't offer to like, hey, let me give you a hand with that elbow, pal. No, immediately they just ring him with these little. It's hard to even say what they are. It's like these placards or, or these these these. Um, they almost look like little folding chairs, but they go all the way down to the floor. Anyway, so they ring the guy so no one can see him. And as you pointed out, they're not helping him, but it's like immediately from the sidelines. They come out and they, they cover him up, so they they cut him off from the camera so you can't see him. And then, but you can still hear the guy. They're going like, oh, God, oh, for the love of, you know. And then meanwhile, they're just the standing way, there. There's nothing to see here. Exactly. There is no injury. Look away. Uh, so that's great. And also this, somebody was, you know, I saw some, you know, like, oh, it's the agony of the sporting. But I mean... Really, I, I forget exactly. I don't even. I'm an American, so I don't know how much 100. Was it 144 kilograms or something? Yeah, something like how that. How many pounds is that? I'm an American, so I don't know I anything don't know. about the metric system. Is that a lot? It well, it must a be a lot. He's a huge guy, and it yeah. snapped his arm in half. Oh no, that's terrible. Oh, he's dislocated. That's just awful. So, really, I have a limited amount of sympathy for anybody who tries to lift like 4,000 pounds above his head, and then is amazed when something goes wrong with one of your elbows. I mean. The fact that you really, really, really have to struggle and work and train and trial and toil to get that amount of weight off the ground, that's nature's way of telling you you're really not supposed to be lifting that much, and you ought to just read a good book instead. Find a different hobby, friend. So, if you you know, if you try to lift a car over your head and one of your bones breaks, everybody just tells you to get bent. So, uh, you know, that's what I'm saying. Oh, no, that's terrible. Oh, he's dislocated. That's just awful. Cranky! Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. I got uh, We Are the World, the cassette tape, in my hand. Now, is it a full, is it a whole collection of recordings? Yes. And, uh... Probably about, what, six or seven songs per song? Can, can you now name for me uh, some of the uh, songs from that record, sir? The Canadian All-Stars sing Tears Are Not Enough. Oh, that's okay. Now, that's from, that was one of our Forgotten Benefits on Give a group called Northern Light slash Canadian All-Stars. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tears Are Not Enough. Yeah, Prince and the Revolution, For sing- the Tears in Your Eyes. Really, I wonder if these most these other ones, except for that Canadian song, I bet these were all previously existing songs, and they just cobbled it together to make an album, you know, to, to double the money they could get. Oh yeah, they're all old songs. Steve Perry, Chicago, Huey Lewis and the News. What did you? Now let me ask you this: Did you buy this, or is this like given to you? I've had this tape since I was probably five or six. And have you ever listened to any of the songs except for We Are the World? I don't think so. Yeah. See, everybody. Every, I think we did a high concept topic one time about, like, albums you bought for one song and the rest of the album turned out to be terrible. And I think everybody, especially in the pre-Top Gun era, people would buy soundtracks because of the one-hit soundtrack song, like Ghostbusters or When the Going Gets Tough, the Tough Get Going, and the, or Axel F, and then the rest of the soundtrack is just crap. So, yeah, my uh, sister used to listen to the uh, Top Gun soundtrack over and over and over again. The Top Gun soundtrack was really groundbreaking in that it was one of the first soundtracks... 
I mean, you had American Graffiti, but that was all previously released stuff. Top Gun had a whole bunch of hits. I mean, it had uh, Take My Breath Away and Danger Zone or whatever, uh, as opposed to just the one. And so that was really when the soundtrack as album on its own sort of really started to stand apart. Excellent. Well, thank you for filling in a little gap in my knowledge, sir. No problem. whatsoever. Uh, thank you. This guy says, Rick, don't forget the theme to Dark Shadows had that same weird spooky organ music. Uh, let's, let's see. I can get this to play here. This is apparently that same guy, Corla Pandit, playing Miserloo. Which is that Dick Dale song from Pulp Fiction that is Scott Daly's opening theme. Now, I have not pre-tested this, but let's see if this plays. This is apparently Corla uh, Pandit playing Miserloo. This is so great. I'm looking at this here. I'm looking just, I f froze this here, right? Snader Telescriptions presents Miserloo. Snader? Snader. Telescription? What the hell is a telescription? I don't know. It, it sounds like it's something very modern for the 1950s. It's a made-up word, I think. Ladies and gentlemen, Corla Pandit, for your enjoyment. He does have dreamy eyes. This is kind of cool. Weird. It's like being hypnotized by television. Seriously, that's... Ladies? This is totally where, like, the cobra comes out of the basket. I can't imagine listening to five minutes of that. They're sitting there with their white gloves on, mesmerized by... Exactly. Having afternoon tea. Oh, all right. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Well, it's time for Madonna to celebrate a half century on Earth. She will turn 50 this Saturday. Uh, she was born on August 16, 1958 in Bay City, Michigan. She moved to New York in the late 70s, and her career really took off in the 80s. Earlier this year, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. To be eligible, you must have released your first album or single at least 25 years ago. She launches her North American leg of her latest tour, Sticky and Sweet, in support of the album Hard Candy, October 4th in New Jersey. It wraps up November 26th in Miami. She'll be in Vegas on the, uh, the 9th, and I'll be there. And that is at the, the MGM or at Caesars? MGM. MGM. Oh, by the way, Tim, you'll appreciate this. Uh, Corla Pandit was never um, in an actual Ed Wood movie. However... This is fantastic. Corla Pandit does have a small part in Tim Burton's movie, Ed Wood. He is the Indian organ player during the Meat Locker wrap-up party for Glenn and Glenda. That's uh, right. The, the wrap party for Glenn and Glenda. Now I'm going to have to go back and watch it again. Since it was his last role, he was in the Meat Locker wrap party for Glenn and Glenda. That's fantastic. Excellent. By the way, Chris Paddock wants it known that he can sing the Huey Lewis and the News song from the USA for Africa and album. Will he today? Yeah, we're going to make him do it today, just FYI. All uh, the more reason to love this show. There's something for everyone here. It really is. It is a show for the entire family, for the whole spectrum of human existence. Even the family dog. That guy was Listing, lifting 326 pounds, apparently. Corla Pandit? No. Okay. Uh, what's his name? The, uh, the, the our, our new best friend. Oh, no, that's terrible. Oh, he's dislocated. That's just awful. It's Tim Riley. Georgia's prime minister says a convoy of more than 100 Russian tanks and other vehicles are moving from the western city of Zugdidi deeper into Georgia. Lado Guzangi says it's unclear where the tanks are going. Speaking to reporters in the teleconference, he called it a rather large column of Russian armor over one, uh, 100 pieces. He suggested the Russian uh, forces are trying to rattle the civilian population. Uh, meanwhile, the reporter for the Christian Science Monitor says Georgia is not protecting its own people. There's no Georgian military presence on the main road to Tbilisi or in Gori, where they apparently evacuated three days ago. And the Russians are hanging about there and claim to be the only force imposing order. 
Uh, Russia has yet to sign any kind of ceasefire deal. A lot of people haven't taken that on board. The, the ceasefire is not official yet. So until it is, that nobody uh, is really obliged to abide by its term. Bob and Bing never really got around to making that one, the road to Tim Belusi. Oh, that's true. So to get even, it's payback time, you Ruskies. This just in. The U.S. and Poland agree, agree to a missile defense deal. Now, a couple weeks ago, Poland refused to go through with this. And now some somebody's arm has been twisted in the back room, and now they'd love to have our missiles on their soil. Poland and the U.S. have just reached an agreement today that will see a battery of American missiles established inside Poland, which used to be a communist state. Uh, they announced the plan just to infuriate the Russians a little bit more and to raise the specter of escalation of tension. So it's back to the Cold War again. Well, it was about, it was about time for it to happen, I mm -hmm. suppose. I guess it was too much to hope that the, the, that would just sort of stay in the past. Yeah, I was having this discussion with Laura last night, actually. We were talking about the, the Russian-Georgian thing and, you know, whatever, and, 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 and whether or not we're just going to go in there and clean house. Because Bush is doing a lot of this saber-rattling, right, where, you know, the, the aggression will not stand and whatever. But I was making the observation that, I mean, I don't know anything about anything. I'm really phenomenally underinformed on most of these things. But it doesn't really seem to me like we would have the military wherewithal to go in and start causing trouble anywhere. No, like, like from from where would we possibly get troops at this point? I mean, people have sort of forgotten about the fact that we're in Afghanistan, unfortunately, uh, where, I mean, the casualty levels in Afghanistan, I think, are actually exceeding those of Iraq at the moment. Yeah, that's what people hide, hide under rocks for weeks at a time with no food. I mean, and they slaughter everybody when they come up from underneath the rocks. So we got a, we, we got this offensive going on in Afghanistan. We got the thing going on in Iraq. We got all of other uh, our other troops, which, have, you know, we're stationed around the world already. We've got whatever we're undoubtedly gearing up uh, for in Iran. So if we wanted to go in and sort of do whatever it is we're going to do between this in this Russia Georgia mess. Doesn't even seem like we have the troops to do it, which then means if I sort of understand the way this works correctly, realizing of course that all my political knowledge just comes from games of risk, that we're going to have to ask the rest of the world to help us out in some sort of military venture, which it doesn't really seem like the, the rest of the world is going to be inclined to do at this point. No, because this is an actual military problem, yeah. unlike the fake ones. That we organized earlier. Uh, so, so now nobody believes us. I, that's the thing. So we're going to be, no, 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 we need your help. It's an axis of the evil, the greatest threat in our generation. And there's, nobody's going to listen to us because no. we already expended all of our goodwill fighting these. And days. the Russians know that. Yeah. And that's why they did this. Uh, they're crafty, Tim. Those Ruskies. So. All right. That's that. They can have that Georgia place. This is KCMD Portland. It is, isn't it? A new Tom Cruise movie about the man who tried to kill Adolf Hitler is scheduled to come out the day after Christmas. Now, apparently they scrapped this movie a couple of months ago, then they brought it back. That's the worst release date ever for a Hitler movie. <laughs> the, the what can we do to Christmas. celebrate the birth of Christ? Well, there's this Hitler movie playing. Uh, this movie is based on the true story of Colonel Claus. Oh, maybe that's what they're doing. <laughs> Colonel Claus? I, I can see really? Italian. Yeah, Colonel Claus. Who? There's all kinds of hideous jokes <laughs> that I'm not going to make. Uh, he failed uh, in this assassination attempt of Hitler. Uh, yeah. Colonel Claus? Yes. Okay. Uh, Cruz plays uh, Von Stupenberg, who's joined by an acclaimed staff that includes Kenneth Barang, Arbeit Mock Toys, Bill Knighty, Tom Wilkinson, Clarice Van Houten, Thomas Krishman, Eddie Izzard? Well, wait a minute here. One of these well, things is not they... like the other. <laughs> it is true. Maybe, maybe Eddie Izzard plays Hitler. I'm not sure. And Dane Cook in... Uh, so apparently this is shot on location where the events actually took place in Germany. Is it the, can you find it? I mean, 
I don't mean... MGM says they decided on the day after Christmas because, quote, a strong movie deserves a strong play date, unquote. All right. I mean, it seems easy to pile on Tom Cruise at this point. The family Hitler. (laughs) Hitler. I barely knew her. Uh, I mean, it it seems wrong to be kicking Tom Cruise when he's so, so very, very down at this point. But, you know, I I, I do wonder if maybe, I I think perhaps his shelf date has passed. I do. I do. I'm not saying he can't come back. I mean, he was at one point the biggest movie star in the world. Uh, but it does seem like his expiration date might be... Uh, he belongs on the, uh, on the bargain rack. I stale bread. Well, because, I mean, they tried to get this movie made, like, a bunch of different times, and finally didn't have to take it to his own outside production company. Mm-hmm. And even then, like, he couldn't find a distributor for it or something. And I, you know, so, uh, you know, who who knows? I mean, I, I guess stranger things have happened, but... People I, love Hitler movies. I can, I can count on zero fingers the number of people who are really actively salivating for a new Tom Cruise film at this point. All right. So uh, that's all we know about it. So uh, this holiday season, it's something the whole family can enjoy. The Hitler movie. Jesus. Starring Tom Cruise. All right. I'm waiting for something to happen here, which is not going to happen. Okay, we'll get back to it later. Uh, Meanwhile, a Fullerton woman gives birth on the front lawn. Fullerton, as in California. Alone and in labor, Jessica Higgins found the first place she could to give birth, her own front lawn. A 36-year-old was driving home from the mall, but little uh, Mary... Gave her the shock of a lifetime by deciding to arrive six weeks early. Higgins, with her two-year-old son sleeping in the back seat, called 911 as she arrived at her Fullerton home, but she had already pushed her daughter out when police arrived. Uh, just so, I mean, I know it's part of the miracle of life or she whatever. Was standing in the driveway, rocking the newborn, and was still attached to the placenta. Oh my God! How's that coffee working out for you over there? So her husband Jeff arrived in time to cut the baby's umbilical cord. Under the uh, front yard uh, fuchsia tree. Do you suppose that um, do you suppose that umbilical cord is sort of like is it like cutting that paper mache ribbon at a mall or something where you can go right through it? Or do you have to get like a do you have to get like a real running start at that like thing? It'd be kind of gummy. <laughs> sort of a I mean, is it like rubber tubing or something? It has to be because it's like skin. It connects skin to skin. Didn't we have this discussion earlier this week in a different story? You have to use, like, full-on, well, because of the, the field baby woman. Oh. Because, like, the, the cord well, was caught. The front yard baby. And we were sort of wondering, like, if you have to use garden shears for that, or can it's just, like, uh, you know, can you just, like, those use a little blunt, those blunt-ended things they give you in kindergarten or whatever? So, all right. So, uh, that's what happened. Uh, so, Mary was born at 5 pounds, 11 ounces, and is doing fine. So, good for Mary. A man was found dead in a pub toilet two days after choking on a steak. A man who choked to death on a piece of steak in a pub's toilet was found two days later by the cleaners. Why would you be eating steak in a pub toilet, first of all? Let's start Let's That's start with this. I don't know. Where shall I finish this steak? Maybe I'll go sit in the toilet and chew. Mm-hmm. Here's why Bertha said they had a meal His of steak. His wife Bertha. <laughs> they had a meal of steak, eggs, chips, and salad. Can I tell you, by the way, I think this may be the first time in recent memory that there's been a woman actually named Bertha, where it's like we're not just using that name as some sort of comedic go-to. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, two hours later, after drinking and playing the pokey machine, whatever that might be, this is from England. <laughs> you want to go, hey, love, you want to go play the pokey machine? Well, uh, Bertha decided to go up for a smoke outside. It was the last time she saw her husband, whom she had known for 45 years. When we partied, he didn't say uh, where he was going, and I just went out for a smoke. But she returned to the bar and couldn't find her husband. Nobody seemed to know where he is. She went to another pub, but he wasn't there later. Then she just went home, thinking her husband uh, would make his way home by himself. Uh, we hadn't had a fight, and I thought he would get home by himself. She waited all day Sunday for a phone call from her husband. It never came. She called 911 
Uh, about 11 o'clock, he reported him missing. About 10 a.m. the following morning, the man's body was found in the toilet at the bar by a cleaner. The bar's owner and manager, John Maurice, was able to force the door open far enough to see the dead body. An ambulance was called, but nothing could be done. Uh, during a hearing, a family member asked whether the toilets had been uh, thoroughly checked before the bar was uh, shut. Mr. Maurice said the toilets were checked, and normally cleaners worked every day. But in this particular weekend, he had been away at a wedding, and the manager refused to work on Sunday. But there's really no explanation as to why he was eating steak in the toilet. Well, they noticed there was vomit in the toilet bowl and false teeth on his stomach. <laughs> oh, this is so horrible. This is one of the worst stories we've ever had. I don't know why. I mean, we've had stories about people falling into, like, sewage shredding machines. I mean, there's really something uniquely bad about this, though, and I can't quite quantify from where that comes. Vomit in the toilet, false teeth on his stomach, steak in his throat, dead in the pub bathroom. Mm -hmm. So there, I wonder. At least it was his favorite pub, right? I one hopes. I mean, you know, and, and, and you know, you always hear those stories about like, you know, we've had that rumination about like if you if you're beheaded, like do how long do you retain consciousness, and you know, do, do, do you know, do you have time for your life to really truly flash before your eyes before you're dead? Because I wonder if you have any moment. I wonder if you have any amount of time during which you can just ponder like, well, this is a bad way to go. I mean, if you have any sort of realization, I wonder if you have a moment, like, sufficient time to become embarrassed prematurely about the condition in which you will be found. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, this is maybe your life flashes before your eyes, but maybe it's not really your life. Maybe, uh, maybe the discovery of your body flashes before your eyes, and you realize that you've got your pants around your ankles, you're covered in vomit and false teeth, and there's a partially digested piece of meat in your throat. And then you think to yourself, well, bloody hell, and then just dead. So, Just these, a violent carnivore death. These are really all the things that I wonder about. Mm -hmm. Sort of like, you know, like Elvis. You know, Elvis died expelling um, waste from his body and then suffocated in shag carpet. That's no way for a man to die. Uh, by the way, let me just uh, don't forget we got the glorious bastard of the week coming up later on. Uh, in a moment, I'll be pausing to finish this uh, viso, more of everything good. I got this, Rick. You know, it's funny, I was just going to talk about this. So Todd, the corpse, has got to get out of my head because he sent me this email and it was sort of right with something I was going to mention. He says, Rick. I was just watching TV, and there was an ad trying to compel me to use the dollar coin. He says, honestly, are we as taxpayers spending money on still trying to get people to use the freaking dollar coin? How much money are we wasting not only making dollar coins, which no one will use, but trying to get people to use them? Nobody wants dollar coins. We won't use them. Can't we sick a CNN person on this? Todd. Oh, isn't that that, that awful picture of Susan B. Anthony? No, 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 no. It's, no see, we, we have had this discussion before. It's Sacagawea, right? Because then we had this whole discussion oh, about, who, right, yeah. about who the hell is Sacagawea. Mm -hmm. And who cares? And didn't she just give everybody syphilis? Mm -hmm. uh, and and I'm pretty sure, and I, I think, maybe it's in my other pants. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, no, I don't have it with me. It must be. What's in your other pants? Uh, I swear to God that a woman gave me a dollar coin this morning. But I don't know where it went. I swear to God it was this morning at the plant pantry. Now I don't know so where So you have another pair of pants in here somewhere? No, 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 but maybe it was yesterday. Maybe I'm confusing yesterday and today. But the woman, but she, see, now I'll never know. I think it's Sacagawea on there. Please don't call about Sacagawea again. Uh, but she gave me a dollar coin, and she had to point out that that's what it was, because you never really see them. So my question is, like, why don't you see, how many of them in the circulation, why don't you see them more often? Do stores get them and then just choose not to give them to the customers because they know that nobody wants it? Is that the deal? Well, I think that everybody would ask about them and therefore make the lines go a lot slower. Yeah. I have seen, by the way, I, I have seen somebody in line trying to pay for something with a dollar coin, and then, like, the uh, you know the, the minimum wage behind the counter wouldn't take it because they thought it was fake. Mm -hmm. Like, they didn't think it was, you know, that's not a real coin. So I guess maybe there's that issue. So, all right, well, there's that. Uh, and so forth. Uh, here's what we got to get uh, done still today. Uh, hey, let me just 
stop. Hey, Richie, do we have Dorothy Carcassera today? I haven't heard back from her. All right. Well, it's been a couple. I know she was busy with the Edwards thing. Can you let me know? Because that will sort of determine when we do the top five in the high concept uh, Thursday. Okay. Thank you. Try not to wet yourself while you're doing it. So we have uh, the top five guilty pleasures from terribly named artists. That's Chris Paddock who's going to do that. Uh, let's see. Uh, we have this high concept topic we're going to do for our friend Amanda. We should talk about this OCD topic that Sarah Dillon brought up. Uh, let's see. What else? I have uh, some other things to get to. Uh, for weeks now, I've had this awful worst song you've ever heard uh, that I've never gotten to, and we've got to do the Glorious Bastard of the Week. So we'll try to get to some of this stuff later on today. We, we may or may not. At the meantime, though, this is Tim Riley. Uh, at the Ministry of Truth. Uh-oh, now Netflix is having shipping center problems. Netflix says it's having major technical problems. They got out over the past three days and have severely limited the number of DVDs they can send out. These are unspecified problems affecting all Los Gatos, California-based companies, 55 shipping centers, all of them. Now, we have one locally here. How hard can it be to put something in the mail? I don't know. I mean, you take the DVD, you put the DVD in the envelope, you stick it in the mail. QED. This is the biggest service disruption ever. And uh, Netflix has been in business now nine years. I do like Netflix. It's, uh, it's a fine company. It really is. Uh, the company was able to send out some of this on Wednesday, but shipped none yesterday and haven't shipped any uh, today. Let's see here. About a third of the company's 8.4 million subscribers are currently waiting for DVDs, and they're being held up by these problems. Uh, let's see. You get a credit to your account if you did order something. Glitches didn't affect uh, Netflix website or its service to stream movies and television shows instantly. Previously, Netflix's strongest disruption occurred on July 2007 when its website went down for 18 hours. The company suffered another outage in March of this year when the site went down for 11 hours, resulting in a one-day delay in delivering DVDs. Oh, by the way, we've got this. The latest incarnation of dollar coins apparently is President's. Uh, the presidential coins they started putting out last year, four presidents uh, per year. So that is it, is it is not Sacagawea. It is, in fact, now, which is just, I mean, it goes back to my can wife's whole thing. Sacagawea? Maybe. I don't, probably not, but that's my wife's whole thing of, like, that's how you can tell they don't really plan for anything to succeed is they put a woman on it. You know what I mean? Anytime there's a woman on a, on a piece of currency, you know that it's, it's going to be a failure. That's what they do. That's how they, that's how the government what about the Susan B. Anthony coin? But that's the thing. That's how the man placates women, right? It's really an ugly picture. Because mm -hmm. because feminists will rightly complain that there's a bunch of crusty old white guys on coins, and they're going, no, 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 we'll, uh, no, 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 we'll take care of that. We'll put a lady on a coin, and then they put it on something they know is just going to be a huge failure. So, uh, all right. Uh, and so forth. He says this, uh, this email says, Rick, I love the dollar coin. They just have, they have Sacagawea and a presidential coin series, just like the state quarter series. I use $2 bills all the time as well. Hey, do they still make $2 bills? I'm not sure that they do. I just found a whole stack of them at my parents' house when I was there for my reunion. I don't know if they still make brand new $2 bills or whatever. Uh, you know, at all. I mean, if it's, if it's a thing that they even make. All right. You know, I don't even really care. Don't call about it. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Rick, sir. What's up? Tim. Hello. How are you doing, folks? Hi. Uh, I have four points to get to. I'll try to do it concisely. Uh, one, the fencing sword is called a foil. Okay. Skip to point uh, three and then come back to point two. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Okay. Uh, point two. Uh, I'd like to say uh, Richie's comment about uh, what his belt looks like yeah. is like a triple oxymoron. What the hell is blue ebony shale? Because ebony is the color of black. That's a good point. Uh, I hadn't really thought about that. Shale is a stone that's probably just gray, 
And uh, if it were black, then it would be an oxymoron. It would be redundant to call it ebony shale because it's already black. I think maybe you're barking up the wrong tree, though, if you're looking for logic and consistency from inside the mind of Richie Bristol. That's just a just some I, speculation. I know. I just want to give him a hard time. Right. Uh, and and the other thing, uh, let's see, the harpsichord might be the weird organ thing you're thinking of, which is like a 17th, 18th century kind of organistic kind of deal. No, the harpsichord is that thing that Lurch plays on the Adams family, isn't it? I believe so. So, no, no, the, the thing I'm thinking of, though, no, 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 I'm talking about that weird organ. It's like that thing, I always say this, and it's probably not true, but it's that thing that, like, your grandmother would have, and it was like a huge organ with, like, two rows of keyboards and then a bunch of weird, brightly colored sort of candy-like flippy, oh. flippy switches. Right, right, that control odd air valves, et cetera. And totally, that. and, it would, and it, it would purport to have, like, the sounds of 50 different instruments, but it all just basically sounded like a, like a keyboard. Yeah, uh, very windy. And then it would have a bunch of weird, like, sort of uh, like sort of rhythmic settings that no one really ever used. There was always, like, salsa beat, and it was all the same thing. It was all just like a... And all you could really do is adjust the speed. So And really, you just use the demo mode anyway, so you could watch the thing make its own music. That's really the only purpose it ever Sir. <laughs> uh, last last point yes, I'd like sir. to bring up uh, best uh, homeless sign ever to um, dirty. Oh. <laughs> now we'll never know. It's gonna keep me awake later tonight. Uh, all right, let's do one more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Yeah, Rick, you weren't talking about a theremin, were you, as far as weird organ music? No, see, this is like that whole discussion we had a long time ago with Timmy Ryan where it ended up being the Chamberlain, which is the thing we're talking about. No, 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 the theremin is different. The theremin is that thing that you hear in good vibrations. That's that. Yeah. That, right, that's, the, no. the, haunted, the haunted house music noise. No. Um, uh, and, no. Oh, and I also was going to say, yeah, the, the fencing sword is called a foil, but they also fence with sabers. That's like... Super fencing. <laughs> Super, it's hella fencing. Yeah, All right. exactly. All right, thank All right. you. Thanks. All right, please stop calling about musical instruments. Just let's take care of it now. I'm not talking about a theremin. I'm not talking about a chamberlain. I'm not talking about a harpsichord. I'm not talking about a mellotron. We're going to move on now. All right. I'm going to take this last call, whatever it's about, then we're going to do some more news. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, it's a Wurlitzer. Wurlitzer? All right. Yeah, Wurlitzer. Is it really a Wurlitzer? That's the brand, at least, that like a lot of old ladies had. Is My a, grandma had one. And is a Wurlitzer, we'll allow this one call because it was sort of in before I gave the uh, the admonition about this. Is a Wurlitzer that thing that I would t typically think of as a skating rink organ? Because uh, that thing is a very distinctive sound. Everybody knows what a skating rink organ sounds like. But that, that's that's like the thing like they have at uh, Oaks Park, which right. I believe is a pipe organ, kind of like in a church. Pipe organ. I believe those yeah. are Hammond organs also. Right. Can we just pretend that that's you the correct like answer? Laugh at pipe organ. I did. Pipe organ is funny. You know what else is funny? Playing the upright organ. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. I used to do commercials for a, a string of organ stores. <clears throat> there ought to be a place called um, Oregon Organs. A lot of malls had organ stores. In the 70s. Oregon, Oregon. Fine. You know, I say a lot of these things, and it's like I'm just speaking into the vacuum of space. Do we have to laugh at every single thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need a laugh track to sweeten things. Seriously, we need a laugh track. <laughs> we, all need, we all need a little button you, here. You expect way too much from us. I suppose that's true. don't laugh at everything we say. No, no, that's true. And I, and I realize that... If we everything, we'd be exhausted at the end of the day. I know. Like, and then we'd be one of those, like... 
you know. I don't know. And I know that only 15% of the things I say are really funny. I mean, I'm, I'm fully aware of that. As we've said before, they're, they're all amusing. It's just that, you know, it's, just, it's a fire hose of verbiage, and you just say enough stuff, and you hope that some of it's kind of funny. Uh, all right, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Julia Child was a spy. That's right, the French ship Julia Child. The National Archives has released tens of thousands of personnel records of Americans who worked for the OSS, that's the forerunner of the CIA, during World War II. Julia Child? Among the spies, Julia Child. Now, in her books, she has admitted to working for the OSS as a secretary, but now apparently it was a little more than that. I just love the idea, that because when you say that Julia Child was a spy, like I totally picture her in like... Like like black boots and like a trench coat and like with a like beating a confession out of somebody. Yeah, she did handle classified documents, which I haven't mentioned in her books before. So this really isn't any new information. Oh, you need to give me the information, or I'll break your legs. Mm-hmm. She's waterboarding people with, <laughs> with French onion soup. <laughs> Stephen Tilly of the National Archives says Julia Child was among millions of Americans who served their country and then went home and led civilian lives. Some of them became quite famous. And some of them just led normal lives like, like most of us. If you confess, I might let you see your daughter again. Uh, Tilly says the records contain several types of personal information. You'll have applications for the jobs uh, filled out by the individuals. Many of them filled out in hand, of course, by hand, and not typed, but filled out by hand. And you'll have assignments about uh, training assignments or uh, when, they're, when they're promoted, uh, when they're relocated to another assignment. You, you would fill out an application to be a spy? Yeah, you still do. I guess I never, I guess I never really thought about that. Where do you suppose spies come from? I mean, is that like they a... They advertise in the L.A. Times. Re, what do you mean? Really? Are I you have, screwing with me? No, I'm not. I, I had a relative who saw the, the half-page ad in the L.A. Times and applied. This is say, like, no experience required. Mm-hmm. Salary limits country. are only those of your ambition. Serve your country. It was in the late 80s. Yeah, there's not... You know, I could never... But, you know, that's the thing that, like, all of us... We would certainly be unqualified for that, right? Because you got to be, like, much more oh, no. squeaky clean than we are. No, I have relatives who have brainless. And... <laughs> you too, huh? Yeah. Uh, that's what they look for. They don't want smarts. So are you brainless? Uh, well, fair that's enough. That's a good point. No, I, I mean, I, uh, this, this uh, relative of mine who was accepted, I mean, he just lived in squalor. I mean... <laughs> He he, he yep. would urinate into empty milk cartons because he was too lazy to go to the restroom. I was about to ask if you guys spent a lot of his time trapped inside of a belt. <laughs> uh, but once he got married, his wife made him use the restroom like a normal person. <laughs> well, that's what wives are for, I, I suppose. suppose so. Did you get a walk upright and pee into a bowl? So the first thing that happened when they got married is all those empty milk cartons went out in the garbage. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, he was accepted into that. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Uh, into some organization. Yes. Well, you know, it's interesting because you think about you think about spot. Here's the thing I think about. I think about the witness protection program because, of course, those guys just vanish down a rabbit hole, right? You never, unless you're Henry Hill, you never really see those guys again. So, I mean, it, it's entirely possible. In fact, it's likely that here in Portland there are people who are in the witness protection program. It's entirely possible. Not maybe likely or probable, but it's possible. We might even know people who are in the witness protection program, who've been given a whole uh, separate ID and everything, which is kind of fascinating. So, I mean, you never really know where those folks are. Richie. That's it. This whole thing may be an elaborately put together ruse, a cover story that they sort of fabricated for him. Could be. But that's like my whole thing. I told Rupi ought to be working on that sidebar story about the uh, about the Manson kids. You know, who are all about my age or a little older, uh, who are now living all over the country. And like, some of them may know that they're Charles Manson's kids. Some of them may not. It's like that documentary about all those people who lived in Long Island who were Hitler's like nephews or something. Mm-hmm. And they had them. They had made him a whole pact that none of them would have kids. 
Like they want to reproduce because they were like, you know, Hitler's relatives or something. Uh, so, I mean, I think about that stuff a lot about, you know, who you never quite know who's who's lurking inside your community. Um, I won't. Um, how do I put this? I won't specify uh, this this person, but um, there is uh, somebody who was in the news a lot about 10 years ago. That's, I'll just say this. Uh, there's somebody who was in the news a lot about 10 years ago because he had been on the cover of, I think, either Time or Newsweek, uh, w- along with a woman. And, of course, it was one of those uh, completely brainless th- stories about, like, how he'd been, you know, the gay, but then, like, God had turned it, like, he'd gone to some camp or whatever where they kick you in the head and, you know, shock your genitals or something, and then it's, uh, I'm straight. And so he and this woman, who was also gay, they both turned straight, and then they got married. And they were on the cu- they were on the front of some national news magazine. It was a whole lot of like how we overcame the curse of homosexuality, or whatever. It's a bunch of gibberish. And that was sort of when that kind of that sort of thing was was when the mainstream media was kind of paying attention to that sort of thing. Anyway, but then of course you know the inevitable happened. Like six months later, they catch him coming out of a bathhouse or something, and you know the whole thing just kind of goes down in flames. Pardon the pun. Uh, but that guy, I do believe, uh, now lives um, in our fair city. And has uh, sort of reinvented himself, and I think he might have a different name. I'm not entirely sure about that, but I do believe that he now, um, I do believe he now lives here. So and uh, does does something else for a living. So I'm just saying. Huh. Anywho, uh, and this is all true. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, then we have this 94 year old spy named Fisher Howe, who lives in Washington D.C. He worked for the OSS directly under the agency's director, General William Donovan. He sent me over to London to help open the first overseas office in London and be the liaison with the uh, British Secret Services. And that's it for that story. Well, okay. Did I tell you about the catalytic converters that were stolen from 37 patrol cars? I'm sorry, that was just, I'm sorry, that was a little bit of a brain lock I had there for a second because I was. Was thinking, there too much information? No, it's, well, it's. about something else. No, my whole head, it was, uh, I was just for a moment there trying to go in about three different directions. I was going to make a comment on the old guy. Mm-hmm. Then I was going to follow up this anecdote uh, about the guy who was on the cover of Newsweek and Scandal and blah, 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 and then moved to Oregon to, to recreate his life under a different sort of persona. I was gonna, I was gonna then tell another similar related story that I'd said it not to. Then I saw the phone ring and it was Ed McCarthy, but I didn't know it was Ed McCarthy. I thought it might have been Jim Roop, and then I had to look at the sheet and realize who it was. And then the whole time later, you're moving on to the catalytic converter story in my head. There was just a vapor lock. So let's take a moment. We'll resume the news in just one moment. This from the South Sea Radio correspondent Ed McCarthy. Hello there. How are you? Well, sir? Rick, how are you? I'm okay. I was a little confused there for just a moment, well, but now things are. Don't feel bad. I've, I've been confused all day today. Excellent. So I'm not also. Things are things are once again flowing seamlessly inside my brain. Um, hey, just, I wanted to talk about this because this is a, a story that uh, the the, uh, the media sort of got a hold of this about a day and a half ago, and they were talking about it. But I didn't. It's one of those stories you hear, and it seems like. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. It, it almost seems like like one of those stories that gets passed around the internet, and it doesn't even quite the whole. You know, you're yeah, not getting the whole I, deal. I know what you mean. So, is it true that uh, the, the airlines? Uh, so, if you are a soldier who is sort of being uh, headed overseas, in other words, you're going off to war and you're flying on a plane, that the airlines. It, so, on the one hand, you know, you're in the military, you're already heading off overseas, perhaps heading off to some sort of dangerous military hotspot. And then on top of that, the airlines are hitting you for a whole bunch of extra baggage costs because you're in the military? Well, that that is what actually happened. Uh, the VFW uh, quite up in arms over that situation. Uh, apparently, it was American Airlines that uh, 
I charged a couple of soldiers $100 and $300, uh, that according to the VFW. And uh, so they were calling for him to stop. Now, uh, we found out that uh, American has uh, put out a directive now that that's not going to happen again. And, uh, you know, the American, like other good airlines, have done good things, at least, you know, for the for the troops if they're on there. If there's a space open, so a lot of times they'll upgrade them to first class. So, uh, you know, they're not looking for this kind of publicity. I mean, all the airlines are, you know, caught in this whole thing with the rising fuel costs and people are getting squeezed with the baggage at the gate, and that's just the way it is. But, uh, you know, the, the whole idea is that the soldiers will get reimbursed, but uh, most of them won't be charged for airlines because they're uh, under the constraints. I, I talked to a few of them at the airport yesterday. They say, you know what I do? I ship my stuff ahead, all my field gear, and I pack light when I'm I'm heading back home for uh, you know R and R. So that's so that's how it works. I do always wonder about that actually. And so the thing, and I, I guess I could just have asked somebody. I wonder if you're overseas though. You're in the military. If you're sending stuff back home, or if you're you know whatever you're stationed in Iraq and you know over there you find a throw rug that you particularly like and you buy it. I always wonder if there's some special military rate or if the, if the military guys really get screwed the same way everybody else does when they try to send something back from another country. Well, I talked with somebody yesterday on that too. That's pretty pretty much the uh, the attitude you do if you're going to send that kind of stuff home you know you're going to probably pay through the uh, nose for it well all right then uh and then um just real briefly there was this uh, there was this shooting uh at this what is it it was in arkansas right the democratic party headquarters very bizarre and, wasn't it the uh, yeah the uh, the chairman of the arkansas uh, democratic party and uh, he was uh, he was killed and uh the guy just walked in and you know he kind of introduced himself. He says, "He says I, I'd like to uh, to volunteer," and then all of a sudden he shot the uh, Bill Guatney, the uh, chairman of the Arkansas Democratic Party. Mm. So I mean, you just never know. It, it, the guy apparently had been fired uh, at a Target store, or whatever. They said he was writing graffiti on the wall, and they they fired him. They said the guy's body shook profusely as he was handing over his ID, you know, after he was gone and. Kind of, kind of frightening, I'll tell you. It is, it is one of those things where you just, uh, I've always said that if you had some sort of superpower where if you were walking around the city for a day and if you had some sort of magic kind of x-ray vision sort of a thing where you could see by looking at people if they were just like one day away from snapping, you yeah. would probably be terrified because I'm, I think probably the average American for the course of your day, you probably pass 15 people on the street that are like one, one bad moment away from just deciding to, uh, to start taking out the trash. We really are just surrounded by all kinds of people sure. living on the knife edge of mental collapse. Oh, no, I, I know. You know, it's 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 that kind of a world right now. You know, a lot of pressure on people too. And you know, I'm not uh, defending anybody that uh, that does that kind of thing, but it's it's just one of those deals. It's uh, you never know. And now all of a sudden, you know, with all the concealed guns, who knows? It is, uh, we are surrounded by a nation full of crazy people armed to the teeth, sir. Unbelievable. All right, sir. Enjoy your day. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. We will uh, speak with you again in the near future. Thank, Thank you, Rick. Ed McCarthy, ladies and gentlemen. All right. All right. The other point I was going to make, this is like the uh, the witness uh, relocation thing and the guy. I was going to point, so there's this, there's this horrifically vile uh, death metal band from Buffalo called Cannibal Corpse who are really like the very textbook definition of horrific, off-putting, disgusting, like morally indefensible music. And there's this guy named Rob Bousset, who was one of the founding members. And he cuts like three records, uh, you know, and he just really records just, just like just the most relentlessly vile and offensive music you can possibly imagine. And then at one point he leaves the group, and if you try, and he's sort of like the lost member of that band. Like, no, you know, everybody's like, whatever, whatever became of him? You know, and, and, and it turns out that what became of him is he, like, lives in Phoenix, and he's a golf instructor. And so you go on, and you see his profile, like the whatever, the, uh, you know, the, the, like the, the, you know, like the relentlessly lame guy country club. Uh, 
And you see a picture of him, and he's like this kind of balding, paunchy guy, and he's wearing like the golf shirt, you know, and he looks like he's on his way to a Jimmy Buffett concert, and he's like giving a thumbs up. And you read his bio, and it doesn't ever have the words corpse or cannibal in it. And it's just, it's really bizarre how people just sort of, they do something, they vanish, and then they reappear somewhere else in this sort of, like, recloaked identity. It is, uh, you know, it's uh, this is a good country in some ways in which you can still sort of lose yourself. Um, it, real quickly, Tim, before we continue the news, and then if you're on hold, hang tight. We're trying to get to all calls within 10 minutes this week because Rick Emerson cares. Tim, I've got two possible guest leads right here. One oh. in my right hand, one in my left. Which should I read first? Left. That's the one I was hoping you'd pick. Tim, would you like to be one of the first to find out never-before-published interviews with those who knew Ronald Reagan best? Oh, I read that today. Such as Jimmy Stewart? Betty Underwood? How can, how can they interview Jimmy Stewart? I, <laughs> I think that's promising things that can't be delivered. I found that interview with Jimmy Stewart to be very one-sided. <laughs> one-sided. We don't have a laugh track in yet. Because he's dead. All right, there you go. Thank you. Uh, be the, be uh, one of the first to find out about never-before-published interviews with those who knew Ronald Reagan best, such as Jimmy Stewart on why Reagan carried a gun, Betty Underwood on her relationship with Reagan after his split from James Wyman, and more. And then it says, in, in all caps, let's book an interview. Uh, this is from uh, somebody or other. So this is... Uh, Do you think Nancy Reagan would ever allow anyone to badmouth Ronald Reagan and get away with it? No. These people are marked for death. No. Should, should they... <laughs> Say anything derogatory about Ronnie. Wait, and she's still alive, right? You bet. All right. And she'll never die. You'll just like Emperor Palpatine, just get older and wrinklier and older and wrinklier. I don't believe that they would be allowed to do that. Uh, let's see. We've got here just a, a treasure trove of never-before-published interviews with those closest to Reagan, uh, including, you know, I don't really care about this. This seemed a lot more interesting this morning before I had my coffee. So now, I've, now I'm sort of awake and I realize what a terrible interview it is. All right, well, this other interview lead is even worse, but I'll read it anyway because I sort of teased it. Tim, what do Bill O'Reilly, Nancy Pelosi, Susan Sarandon, and William Brinkley all have in common? Well, I'll tell you. I don't care. They were... <laughs> well, they're, all, they're all viewed with disdain by Tim Riley. It's a whole book about being Catholic now. They were all born Catholic, Tim. Mm-hmm. Here's a piercing look at one of the most complicated and compelling religions in today's world. This is a New England name. The author is Carrie Kennedy. Carrie Kennedy wants to talk about, you know, I don't care about this either. All right. Wait, are they all still Catholic? Are they all un Catholic? You know, I'm with them. I've, I've stopped caring. Uh, well, okay, so there's two people we're not going uh, to book. I'm sorry, sir? Oh, no, nothing. I was just are you asking if we'd like to break? Yeah. Uh, let's do a couple more. We'll do these calls, and then we will take a break. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. There's a brief pause for some organ music. We bring you musical gems from near and far, blended into a pattern of glorious harmony. A program based on the universal language of music, it is our pleasure to present to you Corla Pandit. This is totally one of those, like... That's for you lovely ladies. <laughs> I feel like I'd be doing the shadow voiceover or something there. You know? The, the, the Tonight Show presents The Edge of Wetness. All right, here's Tim Riley. So getting back to this uh, catalytic converters story, apparently these have stolen 37 catalytic converters from police cars. 37? Mm-hmm. In West Palm Beach, Florida. A man has been arrested. He was selling them for scrap. Uh, Elisa No, a technician at the vehicle maintenance department, 
uh, was arrested and charged with grand theft and dealing with stolen property. They said Mr. No stole at least 37 catalytic converters and sold them for $8,000. The sheriff's company said the investigation continues. They wouldn't say if any other employees are involved. Mr. No is ordered held on $56,000 bond. I wasn't even going to try there. All I have is this. Oh, no, that's terrible. Oh, he's dislocated. That's just awful. It's Tim Riley. Uh, then we have this. From Melbourne, Florida, a man who forced his way into a Melbourne apartment and attacked a woman with a knife has been hospitalized after the woman's boyfriend pulled out a long sword and hacked him almost to death. Excellent. Good for him. And that's the way it should be. The injured uh, assailant was taken to the regional hospital with a severe gash. Uh, <laughs> the woman and the boyfriend were not seriously injured. The names have not yet been released. The incident remains under investigation. What more is there to investigate? Where's Ted? I don't know. I saw him uh, come in with a big gash. Thank you. Uh, all right, let's uh, take these calls, shall we? But there ought to be, don't you think there ought to be a reality show where we just salute citizens who've, you know, done what needs to be done and just killed intruders who came into their home? Yes. We should do, we should start doing a that here. A reality show or like a documentary? No, not even, a, but I mean like a weekly program. Sort of like America's Most Wanted, like but it's sort of like, you. here's to you, proud citizen. We should start doing that here. We should start calling citizens who, you know, some guy comes in here. Now look, Rick Emerson showed us, I was going to say we don't advocate. We do advocate violence. I advocate it wholeheartedly. Uh, you know, it's people who have it coming. Can we all agree on that? Yeah. Some people don't have it coming. Some people do. Uh, I say turning into Jack Webb. Uh, we ought to just begin a segment on this program where when a guy comes into somebody's house, uh, you know, and he starts with the uh, punching or the raping or the stealing or the menacing or the whatever, and the homeowner just has enough of it and just beats the guy senseless with a golf club or shoots him in the face or something, we should just begin calling those homeowners, those proud citizens, defenders of their liberty on the air and just congratulating them for just sort of, uh, you know, uh, dealing with that situation as was proper. All right. The Rick Emerson Show salutes you. Let's do these calls, then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Speak now. Uh, hello. Uh, these topics are so more than 10 minutes ago. But That's I'll, okay. Uh, and sneak them in there anyway. I'm going to try to I'll feign interest. All right. Uh, anyways, Netflix shut down and all that right when I had season five of The Wire, the first disc on the way. That right. is unfortunate. Can I just tell you this real quickly? Uh, not to sort of grind salt into your uh, wound, uh, but uh, so Dave Zinn has a season five of The Wire. He got it, and he came by my office, and he's like, so I'm going to start watching season five of The Wire tonight. And I said, oh, that's great. I said, have you watched all the others? He's like, yeah, I'm totally caught up. I'm going to go home and start watching season five. And season five of The Wire is so good uh, that I told him it was like, I was envious. It's like that thing when somebody's about to start reading a book for the first time that you love. Or like watching Dexter season two for the first yeah, time. Yeah, and you're just like, you don't even know how what, what a treat you've got in store for you. And I have to tell you this, uh, whenever you get to watch it, sir, you're going to get to, I think it's episode two. I'm not spoiling anything. It happens right up top. Uh, at the at, at episode two of uh, season five of The Wire, Jimmy McNulty does something. He makes a decision. And suddenly from that moment, you can just see the entire season stretched out before you like one bleak highway. It's fantastic. Hopefully it involves his hot ex-wife. Oh, man, she is really great. Um, what is her name? Her name is, um, oh, I used to know her name because she was on Homicide Life on the Street. Uh, she really is. A, she is quite attractive, though, yes. Um, yeah, I guess the other thing, too, with the CIA agents, uh, have you seen the movie Confessions of a Dangerous Mind about the guy from the Gong Show? I keep meaning to. Everybody's seen that, and I, I keep meaning to. And I, you know, speaking of Netflix, I had to put that on my queue tonight, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I know that it's, it's indefensible that I haven't seen it. I, I really ought to. No, it's good, and the guy that played uh, the crazy Billy the Kid or whatever in the Green Mile does a great job in it. But uh, so does that 
whole Julia Child thing make his story more plausible, or is he still just a big drug addict? Chuck Barris? Yeah. Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, really, who knows? Because that's the thing. Because if, if really, if Julia Roberts had told you, like, oh, I was battling the Nazis, like, we always just, time to, time to put Grandma on a home. Uh, but, I mean, really, maybe this does lend some sort of credence to the theory that Chuck Barris was fighting on behalf of a grateful nation. I don't know. Maybe we should get Chuck Barris on the show and ask him. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. All right. Enjoy the wire when you get it. It's fantastic. I can I tell you this real quickly before we do these two calls and we'll break? Uh, the Wire is so good, and I know people got sick of me talking about it, but really, uh, season five is coming out. you got to watch it. Uh, Lara never watched it, so we're starting again at season one. We're starting it at the very beginning, just as good the second time. Two more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. How are you doing? What's up? Oh, well, uh, you're talking about the Witness Protection Program, and when I was in second grade, we had this kid named Steve Carter, and all through first and second grade, they must have got uh, new names. So this is, so the, I actually, just for the sake of decorum, I did actually bleep part of that. But there was a kid in your second grade, he, he went by one name, and then yep. one day the teacher came in and they said, never call him by that name again, call him by this new name instead. Yep, this was back in 65. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. Wow. I mean, and did, did, you, did you ever pull him aside and go, dude, what the hell? <laughs> no, but we asked him and he, he refused to talk about it. He says, nope, I can't say anything. I can't say anything. Well, we're only second graders. What do we know? Wow. You know? That's one of those. Here's a, here's a little thing about that. So I went to school with this guy, and I told my wife about this. I went to school with this guy who. It's the. It's hard. To, how do I put this? It, it was he was like this sort of Ferris Bueller guy that he just sort of seemed to exist without any sort of parental supervision. He didn't. You know, he wasn't like a hooligan or a troublemaker, but he just he always sort of seemed to. He never really seemed to have parent issues. You never really saw them. You never really met them. He would say a lot of things like he had been out of town for a while and you know, like nobody really knew why or he would, you know, be gone without any sort of supervision. And I couldn't ever really put my finger on why it was, but he just seemed to operate in this void where he had no family or, or anything. I went over to his house one time. I went over to his house one time after school. We were like maybe 15, 16. I go over to his house and he's like, hey, you because I wanted to borrow like a record or something. So I go over to his house and his house... No furniture, uh, except for like like a like a mattress on the floor. No furniture. You go into the kitchen. Uh, no dishes. Cupboards empty, and there was like no decoration of any kind and no indication that anybody else lived there. And I yeah. said, "What's that about?" And he goes, "Oh, uh, we're in the middle of something right now." And so, my it, in retrospect, my wife thinks that he was like a narc or something. Oh, jeez. Uh, but that there was something shifty with him. So it's weird. You look back at that and you wonder what was up with some of those people. Have you ever tried to contact that kid? No, I, and you know, I do know his new name, but when you were talking about uh, creepy, I get assigned, I'm an electrician, I get sent out to these jobs, and I get this phone call from this lady three or four times, I go out there, and there's just kids, and she goes, yeah, one of the kids will let you in, so they're all playing goosey-goosey gander, and they're running around, and, and I go, yeah, I need to get in this apartment and fix this stuff, and he goes, oh, I'll get in for you, and he crawls up on the roof, crawls through the window, goes around, opens the door, and I said, well, I want you to stay in here, because, you know, in case somebody says I stole something, i got a witness. And then this happens like four or five times. I'm leaving the bills. The bills are getting paid. I go over there. There's never an adult. Three or four times I go over there. Never an adult. Weird. It's like a, like a Lord of the Flies thing yeah, happening exactly. over there. Exactly. It was like Twilight Zone every time I went over there. Cool. It was a big apartment <laughs> complex. There's like 40 kids running around. It's like, like the boxcar children. Use your own, yeah, your children of the corn. All right. Thank you, sir. Hey, best show ever. Love you guys. Thank you, my friend. All right. One more and then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. I used to work in the uh, Army Post Office. Uh, System. So uh, I can tell you a little bit about uh, what soldiers 
get as far as breaks. So do they get? So if you're like over, if you're overseas or whatever, military zone or what have you, uh, and you you buy stuff or you're sending stuff back, do you have to pay the normal civilian rate? Do you get shafted? Do you have to, uh, or do you get like some sort of a discount? Uh, well, basically, uh, if you're say deployed to, well, say Iraq, for example, uh, when you ship things back to the states, you get charged like you were sending it from uh, upstate New York instead of from Iraq. All right, which is that's probably a substantial a substantial savings, I would imagine. It it really is because uh, international shipping rates uh, just go up exponentially. You know, the more weight goes into a box. And all right then. All that. Oh, cool. And the other thing yeah. is, uh, if you ship between military bases, like APO to APO, that's Army Post Office. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ship between those, you don't have to pay. So it's like a, it's like in network calling with your cell phone company. Right. So, for example, if you are ordinarily stationed in Germany and you deploy to Iraq, you can actually send all of your crap back to Germany without charge. All right, then. Fair enough. All right. Thank you for the clarification, sir. No problem. Have a good one. Thank you. It's like that guy in Hamburger Hill who's like, if you write on the side of a piece of bark, as long as it's got an address, we'll deliver it. All right. We'll take a break. Back after this, more from Tim Riley. Uh, coming up later on, uh, we will do the top five guilty pleasure songs from terribly named artists with Chris Paddock. Uh, and uh, we'll do the uh, High Concept Thursday without fail. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program, an excursion into information and whimsy. Stay there. The Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Still to come, top five. Top five guilty pleasures from terribly named artists. Uh, high Concept Thursday. Let's see. Let me just read a couple of these uh, things we got. This This is horrifying. Let's see. Well, this is from the uh, something or other. Do you ever see these? Like, it's like a news site, but it's just like an acronym of something or other, and it's just a, it, the letters don't even make any sense. Lahoodbigadigada.com. Well, whatever. Uh, this is from, um, I believe this is from New York. Criminal sex abuse charges were leveled today at a series of men accused of masquerading as gynecologists. Oh, wow, no. Yeah. So, uh, there you go. Apparently it's a 34-count 34, 34 indictment charging them with a felony performing of medical examinations without a license. So, there you go. We got that. Uh, let's see what else. There's one more here, and then we'll uh, we'll move on. Uh, this is the second one of these. The only reason I'm reading this is the second one of these we've had within 10 days. This is from, uh, let's see, this is from the Daily Mail. Businessman uses Aston Martin, which is a car, I believe, to decapitate himself in horrific suicide as revenge against ex-wife. That's what James Bond drove. We have, is that true? Yeah. Oh, that's right. He drove an Aston Martin, and he has the Walther PPK as the gun. Mm-hmm. A businessman has decapitated himself in his sports car to get back at his younger wife for leaving him, an inquest has heard. Gerald Mellon, 54, taunted his estranged wife, Morell, with thoughts of, uh, I'm sorry, with threats of suicide. He even showed her the rope he was going to use, which he kept in the trunk of his open-top Aston Martin DB7. The court, it's, it's very British, by the way, that they would take the, uh, take the time and the effort to identify the car so specifically. The court heard that the day before his death, Mrs. Mellon had been awarded an extra $200 a week in maintenance from her former husband. 
Mr. Mellon then sent her a text message which said, Congratulations. That was the last time she heard from him. The businessman tied one end of the rope to a tree. It's always a tree. Then climbed into his Aston Martin, wrapped the other end around his neck. He then drove the $200,000 car into a busy main road, forcing other drivers to witness his horrific death. So, uh, there you go. I don't think we have, uh... I don't think we have anything else here. Oh, except that he just canceled the insurance policy that would have paid her. So, well done on style points, sir. That's like the second time. Uh, I have, let's see, uh, we have news to get to. Did you hear back from Chris Paddock, by the way? Yep, he's ready to go whenever. All right, then I will hold off on this question I have about the about poker games. So we'll get to that later on. Uh, let's do a couple of headlines, then we'll do the top five. Uh, then we will probably break and we'll do a high concept Thursday. Here's Tim Riley. And now, oh, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Here's Tim Riley. Well, here I am. Just found out that ATT Wireless is uh, back on in the Portland, Vancouver area. It was out for some unknown reason for most of the morning. Let's do a jock watch, shall we? This is something new entirely different. No, we haven't done one in a while. Here's your jock watch watch for Thursday on the Rick Emerson Show. Tim Riley with a jock watch. This comes to us from Connecticut. A member of the Burnell High School wrestling team was arrested for allegedly sexually assaulting another member of the team during a practice session. The 16-year-old boy, whose name is not disclosed because of his age, was charged with one count of fourth-degree sexual assault. He surrendered to police, according to his father, after learning there was a warrant for his arrest. The boy was released after posting $1,000 bond. The charges are based on an incident last December during a wrestling team practice session at the school. The 17-year-old victim was wrestling another teammate, police say, when he allegedly heard the defendant tell his opponent to pin him to the mat. When the victim was pinned on his back, the defendant approached, bent down, and exposed his genitals in the victim's face. The victim managed to free himself and went to a water cooler to rinse out his mouth, declaring... (laughs) This is disgusting. Now, see, here's the interesting thing about this story. I mean, apart from everything. So, the one sentence, there are two sentences back-to-back here. Mm-hmm. One gives you a little bit of information. The second story, the second sentence gives you the whole story. The first sentence is, can, can, you, can you just read it again, starting from the business of the whatnot in the face? Okay, let's see here. Okay. When the victim was pinned on his back, police said, the defendant approached, bent down, and exposed his genitals in the victim's face. So that's one kind of image. Exposed his genitals in the victim's face. Seems like sort of a flashing thing, like, hey, look at this. What is the next sentence, Tim? All right. The victim managed to free himself and went to a water cooler to rinse out his mouth, declaring, this is disgusting. Went to a water cooler to rinse out his mouth. What? I think that maybe uh, passively reveals uh, some information that was not contained in the previous sentence. Mm -hmm. So uh, there you go. Is there there more to the story? Is that the gist of it? Uh, That is the gist of it. Uh, Police detectives later confronted the defendant, and while he was contending, he made a uh, gesture that may have a gesture. His genitals had contact with the other wrestler. He claimed he actually didn't do it. It, that seems like a pretty binary proposition. One's genitals either did that to the... It's just so horrible. I mean, really, what is wrong with people? 
I, I mean, that's the definition of a rhetorical question. There's just no the love of Christ. All right, there's your jock watch. You just shake hands like everybody else. By the way, I have this from Philadelphia. A suspect is in critical condition after becoming impaled on a metal fence while trying to elude officers, apparently unsuccessfully, in South Philadelphia Thursday evening. Police said the incident began near 22nd and Reed when 19-year-old Tony Burrell, riding an all-terrain vehicle, crashed into a police car, fled the scene on foot. He ran down an alleyway with officers in pursuit as he tried to climb over. This is so satisfying. As he tried to, running from the man, as he tried to climb over a seven-foot iron gate, he became impaled on a series of six-inch spikes. The officer's, wow. the officer's pursuit quickly ended and turned into a life-saving mission. After an hour, an hour, rescue crews used a saw to remove parts of the post, and he was taken to the hospital with pieces of the gate still lodged in his abdomen. Family, listen to this. This is so great. Family members blamed the predicament on police. So, uh, let's see. His, his, uh, the suspect's aunt, Colette Mullen, said, this is, I'm quoting now, the suspect's aunt, quote, I ain't never saw that in my life. I ain't never saw somebody hung on a gate. Burrell, a scofflaw with at least 20 warrants after his arrest, was taken to Thomas Jefferson University, where he underwent surgery. This is something you never want to happen to you. Underwent surgery to remove the lodged fence from his stomach. So uh, there you go. All right. Fantastic. Currently 87 degrees downtown. It is uh, 91 on the east side and 92 on the west side. All right. Let me hand you this. Uh, Chris Paddock uh, to the uh, KCMD studio. Chris Paddock to the AM970 studio. Uh, we'll do the uh, top five here in just a moment. Hey, speaking of how hot it is, by the way, uh, let me read this email. This is, you know, I'm glad that I'm not the only one who sort of thinks about this stuff. Uh, it says, Rick. Maybe it's just me, but does it freak anybody else out how hot the sun is? Not to be all pothead about it, but the sun is 93 million miles away. But it's so hot, it will literally burn off your skin. On days like today, you can step out of the shade into the sun and immediately feel blistering heat on your body. It's all so weird and terrifying, I can't even properly put it into words. It's thoughts like this that don't make me look forward to the next couple days, as my house is not air-conditioned. Are you oh. savage? Uh. My office is on the second floor, and all of our big windows face the west, which causes our house to heat up exponentially during the hottest part of the day. Last time I got hot like this, the interior of our house was 98 degrees with 78% humidity. Where is your God now? All right, uh, good times, or not, as the case may be. That's the first thing I ordered when I built my new house, central air. There's just no, uh, this is like, you know, we, we were talking yesterday to Steve Kastamab about the, uh, you know, consumer debt. Uh, you know, just trying to stay at it. It's not like, a, you know, rolling in cash or whatever. And it's not like I'm the most responsible guy on earth. But there's just certain things about my psychological makeup. One of them is that I don't like to owe people money. Uh, so whenever possible, if I don't have the money, I don't buy it. Unless it's something you absolutely have to have, literally an emergency. I try not to buy things if I if I can't pay for it right there. I mean, you know, when I bought that brand new car, it just really it killed me to, to be in debt, and I tried to get it paid off as, as quickly as possible. But one of the things I vowed early on is I would once I, after I think when I was 19 or so, I made I I would never again live in a place without air conditioning. 
I don't have to whatever, whatever I have to cut out, out, whatever I have to skimp on, whatever I have to not buy, whatever else in my budget I have to cut. Uh, I vowed to never again be without air conditioning because it just sucks. I mean, be and some people I think can deal with the heat a lot better than others. You know, I mean, people who don't even care. If it's man, it's 95 degrees. Bring it on. I am not that guy. Uh, I wilt like a delicate flower. So, um, and just like a delicate flower. Do we have Chris Paddock? I don't know. I told him 15 minutes ago that it'd be 15 minutes. All right. Do we have uh, Chris Paddock now in the studio? By the way, this is KCMD Portland. A proud part of the CBS Radio Network, we are the Tiffany Network. Thank you, and make sure you buy your Rockfest Lucky Number 13 uh, tickets now. Where can they do that, Chris Paddock? Ticketmaster. Counting is wonderful. Counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count, don't you? All right, ladies and gentlemen, joining us now in the studio for the Top 5, KUFO Program Director and all-around cool dude, Chris Paddock. Thank you. Hello, Chris. Tim Hello Riley. There. Yes. And sometimes the best music can come from the worst places, or in this case, bands with the worst names. Turning the reins over to KUFO Program Director Chris Panic, we now present this list of these, the top five guilty pleasures from artists with terrible names. These are the top five guilty pleasures from artists. Now, some of these are solo acts, some of these uh, are bands. They all these, bands? Are, these are all bands. All bands, bands. awful names. Awful names, mostly from the 80s, because that's where a lot of my formative years were uh, spent. All right, then. In the 1980s. And these are songs, though, that you secretly or maybe not so um, secretly enjoy? Well, this honorable mention is one that I actually like to bust out at karaoke every now and then. Oh, no. Truly. These and are it's the, the whitest name ever. These are the top five guilty pleasures from artists with terrible names. Honorable mention, Tim Riley. Fred. Baby, I'm a want you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a little mellow rock. You sing this at karaoke? Uh, occasionally. You, yeah. You Usually after, it? like, the eighth shot of uh, Jameson. Are you really selling it when you do it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm usually hugging the mic, too, like a wimp. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm cradling it. You're crooning. Yeah, I'm crooning. Much like David Gates, the lead singer of Bread, who, uh, by the way, was got a lot of fame fame for uh, writing the theme song to the Goodbye Girl, I believe. You recall that? Uh, yeah, did you know that? Yes, Goodbye Girl. Yes, thank you. Yes, the Marsha Mason, Richard Dreyfuss uh, classic. I'm so glad that I'm not alone in caring about things like this. Things that couldn't possibly really, matter less. It's really sad. Uh, Brad, should have this been the David Gates project, but Brad is much, much more catchy. The David Gates experience. Yeah, yeah exactly. All, All right, right. Uh, moving on to That's number just, five. I realize there's one more observation yes. here before we before we, before we we stop with the bread. Let me just say this. Yes. Uh, first of all, you, you I had the, I'm embarrassed to say this, that when I was a kid I belonged to the RCA Record and Tape Club. We yes. were talking about this earlier. Uh, and Which still exists, by the way. Eight CDs for a penny. Uh, or cassettes. That's how I got the Hooters. <laughs> and I sounds weird when you take it out of context. One of the I got never mind. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but one of the first things I ever bought was uh, this is so embarrassing was the best of bread. And the thing is, I don't even know why because I don't think I knew anything by bread. Really? I think it was one of those things, and this was the case with those record and tape clubs, where it, they would say like, you can get eight eight records for a penny. And the thing is, there was like about five records you wanted, or four. And then you, the rest of it was just filling up the slots, right? The less it was like, oh, I got four other slots. What the hell? Well, I guess I, um, what is this? Well, this is the soundtrack to Streets of Fire. All right, sure. I guess I'll get that. And I got bread, and it had this terrible 70s line drawing of all that looked like it should be on the front of a T-shirt with, like, a wolf in the background. That's right, yeah. It was almost like a Poco cover. Jesus, it's bad. It's really going. There's another lame named uh, band. Uh, oddly right. enough, by the way, the best of bread had glitter on the uh, LP cover. 
Really? Yeah. I only had the cassette. Okay. I, you know, I get it a cheap version. I'm sure I've played yeah. things out that album many times. <laughs> Top five guilty pleasure smartest with terrible names. Number five, Orion the Hunter, So You Ran. Oh, yeah. Now, would it make you think less of me if I said that I didn't really know this? Yeah, I, I'm actually a little shocked because this is a, a project that was born out of the band Boston in the mid-'80s. Sort of a pre-RTZ. He's an ugly, ugly man. Uh, yes, the, the, the lead singer of the group, which um, I'm trying to remember that I think... It's not Brad Dell. No, no, Brad Dell was actually on backup vocals on this. But I think Fran Cosmo is his name, and he ended up singing, I think, with Boston later. Uh, he looks like a cross between Buck Dharma from Blue Oyster Cult and uh, Mickey Thomas of Jefferson Starship, then Starship. No one has ever been described that way before. It's, You're it's the first person look. to ever do that. <laughs> oh, also the Elvin Bishop group, I, I believe. Was, uh, I mean, well, you could, li- I mean, just the number of bands that were either loosely affiliated with or sprang from the sort of musical loins of Boston. Yeah. And again, I go right to RTZ sure. in the early in the early 90s. Sure. Uh, purveyors of the hit uh, Until Your Love Comes Back Around. Yes. Well, Orion the Hunter, unfortunately, got one of these situations where they, their album was mislabeled. And really, the band's name is Orion, and the the name of the album was just going to be The Hunter. But people misread it, and it became Orion The Hunter. Which is exponentially worse. Really I mean, it's sad. sort of cool and like a, uh, you know, wielding my uh, wielding my plus five sword against the dragon Tiamat kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and this uh, video popped up, I think, on the VH1 uh, Classic All Request Show, and a this buddy of mine called me, lo- it's awful, and called me long distance and said, dude, Orion The Hunter's on right now, turn it on. Dude, turn it on now. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the funny thing, you're watching this horrible video, Sarah, it, uh, he is washing his hands at one point and realizes he thinks he's holding her her old uh, stockings. It's not a towel. It's actually her old pantyhose. Touching. So he's washing his hands with her pantyhose. Yeah, it's really weird. That sounds like something Richie would do in a band. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. You know who this sounds like? What? Speaking of bands that nobody else remembers, this sounds like GTR. Oh, yeah, when the heart rules the mind. Totally. Pack it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, moving along. These are the top five guilty pleasures from artists with terrible names. Number four, Toto, Hold the Line. Toto's a stupid name now that I think about it. I hadn't really thought about it this morning. Why would you name a band Toto? It sounds very childish. It does. It's awful. It's the name of Dorothy's dog in Wizard of Oz. I mean, this does not seem like the kind of music that ought to be named Toto. You think they were going for the thing in Toto? Maybe, like, in total? But why wouldn't you just say in Toto? Well, because in Toto sounds even worse. I want to be in Toto. I want to be in in Toto. That's disturbing. <laughs> Why did they name a tramp after the Brady Bunch's dog? What? Tiger. Oh, that was Tiger. Yeah, Tiger. That was a trap lady in the band. Tramp. Oh, I think it's Super, super Tramp. Super well, tramp. Uh, they were billed as the best band in the world at one point. Which is not Mike Tramp? Not Mike Tramp. But uh, Toto billed as the best band in the world, and at one point... By themselves? I believe that they dubbed themselves that, and at one point they scored the um, the music for the David Lynch 1984 production of Dune. Do you remember that? Uh, only in the sense that I watched it and then sort of forgot about but it. But they were actually the composers of the music. Of the score? Yes. With as Toto? Yes. Because, you know, Which Toto, they were all... even more uncool to have that on a movie poster. Because they music were... Music by Toto. Music by... And David Lynch is very cutting edge. Yeah. Kind of an ambitious, if maybe failed film in yeah. some ways. But then music by Toto. Yes. <laughs> I mean... There's nothing really grandiose about the name Toto. That's but, just ridiculous. But there's more, it, it, more than one uh, other great songs like uh, Hold the Line by Toto, but you got Africa. Rosanna, was that? Rosanna, which was written about Rosanna Arquette, who apparently is just a, a groupie whore, from what I hear. <laughs> oh, is that slanderous? You might want to hit dump. 
It's you who said that, Chris Paddock. I, 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 I don't know Roseanne Arquette at all. I think she was. Would you like me to believe uh, that? Paul McCartney. No, it's okay. All right. I, I think she would be happy about that. I think she yeah. loves it. This is you. This is the uh, someone's a constitutionally protected opinion that you are passing along. That yes. she's a dirty whore. Yes, okay. absolutely. Wow. As I, as I crack my Jesus. head against the. Uh, aren't these guys all studio musicians? Isn't yeah, that the Steve thing? Yeah, Lucifer. Uh, if you remember when uh, their drummer Jeff Pocaro passed away. Sure. I kid you not, he died in a bizarre gardening accident. I do remember that. He literally did. They said, oh, it was pesticide. I think that was their way of covering up possibly, allegedly, a cocaine overdose. I do remember. Well, you're all about just the unfounded accusations yes, today. I, I, I am. You need your own talk show on weekend. <laughs> wow. Hey, dude, you're a bundle of energy. And he killed JFK. Yeah. And he shot Kurt Cobain. These are the... Uh, these are the top five guilty pleasures from artists with terrible names. Number three, the Hooters, all you zombies. I love this song. Oh, yeah, the Hooters. I, and now, is it the Hooters, or is it just Hooters? I think they're just Hooters. It's like how the Ramones are really just Ramones. Everybody says yeah. the Ramones, but it's actually just Ramones. I, I remember saying, hey, I love the Hooters, and people would be like, people being my dad, who uh, just a tremendous a-hole at times. Me too, son. I like. He's like, oh, I love, Hooters. I love the Hooters, too, you know? <laughs> Like I was told him one time, I'm going to go to the UB40 show. That's where I'm going. UB40? I'd be 50. Wow. That was Dad's idea of really, really cutting-edge humor. I guess working it, out some issues here, Paddock? I might be. I guess it does. I'm glad I'm here. It does work better to just say, like, I love Hooters, which is sort of a look at Banner, Michael, I love Lamp kind of <laughs> <I> a thing. <laughs> this is a great song, though. All You Zombies. What was this song about? It's about, uh, it's a biblical song, right? Yeah. Isn't it about, like, you know, people that they need to realize that uh, there is a higher power? It's about Moses coming down uh, from Mount Sinai. Right. Uh, and finds his people worshiping the golden calf, Baal. Right. Uh, and then he smashes the tablets. Right. And then I forget there's something else that happens, and then blah, 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 heaven. I liked it back uh, in high school because it had the word zombie. Yeah. We did a top five zombie songs at one point of this on the list. Did this make a list? Yeah. Yeah, no. it did. Well, like, how many zombies? Well, there were six. I could only ever did think of six. Did you have John Fogarty, Eye of the Zombie? I did. Okay. Uh, also, the Hooters also had Day by Hooters. Day, which is a great Sorry. Hooters also had Day by Day. Great song. And the song And We Dance. And We Dance. That's a great song. Yeah, too. Nervous Night is God this damn, I love the Hooters. Great yeah. record. And yeah. that's Robert Hazard? Robert Hazard, I believe, um, and written, no, is Rob Hein Robert Hazard, uh, Hazard recently died. He's the guy that wrote Money Changes Everything, I think, the and, brains. uh, Girl, no, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. That's the guy that passed away. Uh, now I'm all confused. And he also did Escalator of Life. You're thinking of Rob Hyman and Eric Bazilian. That was the duo that comprised... Because they wrote some of Cindy Lauper stuff. Yes. Okay, and, and you know you that single, And We Danced. When I carted it up, I had to clip the harmonica intro off it. Oh, yeah. That was actually not a harmonica, Tim Riley, but that? a hooter. Oh, that's what they call that. The little melodica oh. that they would play it was a hooter. Hence it, the name Hooters. Is it like a recorder? Yes. Well, I don't know if it's like a recorder. My dad had one because he... It, it Again, is. my dad, a lot of daddy issues today. Can we just call him right now? I mean, yeah. I got an hour. Reach out and touch someone. I guess we should move along. All right. I'm going to play some more Hooters music later. That and we, What should we play later? Should we play Day by Day or And We Dance? Oh, wow. Um, oh. As long as you clip the intro, because it doesn't go good with any jingle or any segue. I thought maybe it was because of the I, cart length. I thought I, maybe you had a five-minute cart. I think a five Day by song. Day's got the better intro. I think you're correct. Day yeah. by Day's a great song. That, those are all good songs. These I'm are, not allowed to play Hooters in my household because my wife hates them. So First, that was your dad, now it's your wife. A lot of issues today. Uh -huh. Next, number two, Pablo Cruz. What you gonna do? I'm just gonna stand here. Let me tell you about Tom, Pablo Cruz for a moment. 
I bought a Pablo Cruz album from the Columbia Records and Tapes Club. Did you really? Yeah, you were BMG. I was the CRC. No, no, no. I was RCA. Like a Marvel oh, DC uh, yes, thing. I was RCA. And the difference between the RCA Tape Club and the Columbia Tape Club, Columbia Tape Club, you got the full reproduction of the album with the liner notes. Yeah. The RCA Tape Club, they would screw you. You would buy the cassette, you'd take out the cassette, and then you'd take out the little the paper inside, and it was just blank. On the inside, it was just white. There was nothing. Awful. Yeah. No I, liner notes. I had the 45 of this. It was mono on one side and stereo on the flip side. Really? A&M Records, 1977, I believe. Uh, and uh, the, A Place in the Sun was the name of the record. One of the first purchases I made as a youth. And uh, now recently to prominence because Will Ferrell is wearing a T-shirt by Pablo Cruz in the Step Brothers movie. Oh, that's good. And this band also got the chance to play the premiere of Step Brothers because of that. Now, just to back up for a second, Tim Riley, you had the 45, and it was mono on one side, stereo on the other. Was this a radio copy, or was it yes. like a commercially uh, available single? It was on a, like AM radio. It was like where you would hear a lot of this stuff. That was sort of not quite really progressive. Right. Even now, you'll go to like a thrift store, and you catch a 45, and it's got the intro time on it. You know, it tells you where the post is, which yeah. is great. And you uh, hear the cue scratches usually on the mono side, but it was from an AM station. Oh, really? Totally. Oh, really? Okay. If you burn... Uh, oddly enough, too, did you know that the keyboard player of Pablo Cruz, Corey Larios, do you know a fun fact about him? No. Composed the theme to Baywatch. Really? Yep. Are these things that you just that are in your head, or did you look these up? No, I actually know a lot of this stuff. I just had to have these notes just in case I forgot something important, like Corey Larios okay. composed. Better the to be over prepared than under prepared. That's what I'm talking about. Well, you know, here's the thing. You know, you that's all you really need to do. You create one good TV jingle in your set. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's it. That's it, man. And that show hugely popular in Europe, and I mean, look biggest it. show in the world. Yep. Counting on the top five guilty pleasures uh, from uh, artists with terrible names, in the opinion of Chris Paddock. Number one, Steel Breeze. You don't want me anymore. Yep, you don't want me anymore. Do you know where this band got their name? Are you even familiar with this song? I was just thinking. I'm trying to listen to it right now to see if I... When, what year would this have been? Uh, I believe 1982. Now, see, now that, that would have, it, it, have been a little bit before my time and probably... Uh, I probably wouldn't have been listening to this kind of music at that point, even if I were a little older. Okay. Well, listen to it. You definitely wouldn't be listening to this. You would have been like having no. a Motley Crue fest. Or yeah, no, there's there's a whole swath of pop that I just still am. It's like I'm uncovering songs that everybody else knows that I don't. Right. You know, just because I was busy listening to, you know, I was busy listening to my Foghat records for the billionth time or something. <laughs> you admit it, you're admitting you listen to Foghat. I mean, I went through a phase okay. where it was like, you know, before I realized it was crap. I, I mean, uh, conversely, I'm admitting I listen to Steel Breeze. Remind me so. to ask you something about Foghat when we're done. Okay. But go ahead. Steel Breeze. Really, a horrible name. Steel Breeze. And it kind of means everything and nothing. It really does. And then I found out, this is the, I did not know this before I walked in the studio. I found this out when I looked it up on Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. They got the, their band name from a lyric in Shine On You Crazy Diamond. This music is not even nearly, it's like, like it's not even close to Pink What is Floyd. the lyric? I don't know. You rolled in a cool, it's cool Steel Breeze. See, oh, and I'm always the worst right. guy with yeah. lyrics. Yeah, you know lyrics okay. way better than I do. There you go. I think and then they write this pablum. That's always unfortunate. It's like, uh, and you'll you'll hear that occasion where they name themselves after a much better artist. Yeah. Do you remember, uh, God, what was the name of the band? Barefoot Servants. Do you remember that band? No. I worked AOR in the 90s, and there was this terrible band called Barefoot Servants. Just like a really sub, I mean, one of those bands that was like right at the, right at the closeout of the sort of, Kind of, it, how do I put this? It was almost like brand new classic rock. Okay, like, like, you know oh, what yeah, I'm right, I know about. exactly. It's like we want to we want to be played on classic rock totally. stations of the future. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. 
uh, and you could just see it was like it was like sort of this 1993 Stillwater music or whatever. Oh wow! But not even that good. And there was this band called Barefoot Servants, and they had the song called "There's a Hole in the Box of Miracles," <laughs> which sucks. I mean, it's like a stupid title as well, and the song was awful. It was doggerel, but they named themselves after that line in "All Along the Watchtower." Okay. Barefoot Servants, servants too. Yeah. Uh, and then because and I, I read about the band like you know named after a lyric from the you know Bob Dylan Jimi Hendrix song. All and I was all really excited for them. I was like, oh, that's great. How can it suck? And then it, it, the answer is it could suck it in like a hundred different ways. So. Note, note to bands, don't name yourself after cool lyrics from cool bands. No. Ever. That's, that's a bad idea. But uh, there you go. That uh, That is the top five. I, unfortunately, Tim Riley, the greatest newsman in the world, has left. I, uh, he'll be back. These songs all kind of have a common thread, though. Of feeling it? The really sort of white, uh, sub-steely Dan four-part harmony or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think that's what I'm into. I think I found it's like this weird subconscious um, it's your thing. thing. It's like my guilty pleasure are bands that are kind of got that fusion. Steely Dan thing, and I kind of hate Steely Dan to be honest. Oh, everybody hates Steely Dan. I booed them at the Grammys where they won Album of the Year that Good one for year. You, when they beat Eminem? Yes. Good for that's how I flipped off the Scorpions that one time. Oh, did you flip them off? Did I tell you that story? No. Oh man, let me just tell you this brief. Okay, so you okay? What? Okay, three things. So I'll stop and get a hold of ourselves. And like we, it's okay if we break early because we do it. Okay, we have to do that. Okay, this is a dramatic so, pause for a moment. Uh, no, there was a moment where I was. I can usually we still, read. We've worked together lips. in this like in this way for you know over two years yes. now, but I still miss our talk back because we could actually communicate. And I can oh. read Sarah's lips about seventy percent of the time. Uh, but just, Very alluring. I failed just often enough to sort of make these pregnant pauses where I'm like, what? You speak an un- unspoken language. Uh, it's the international language. True. Uh, so, uh, three things. A, please to tell how you booed Steely Dan. Then I will tell you how I flipped off the Scorpions. Then I'm going to ask you a brief fog hat question. Okay. Get a break. Uh, Steely Dan wins. Okay, you know, remember the controversy in that Grammys where Eminem and Elton John do the du- duet of Stan? Yes. And they make the big deal, and there's a protest and everything. And you're thinking, you know, Emin- this is Eminem's year. And a this culturally important year. record. Really, yeah, massive. Uh, I'm in a suite. Some big... Fat Cat Record Company decided to put it up or whatever, and we're you know we're sitting there watching the Grammys, and lo and behold, they announce Album of the Year, and it's Steely Dan. And let me tell you, I was not alone in the booing. Oh yeah, because the Staples Center is where they had this. It erupted with just a field of booze. Yeah, well, because I mean, it was just, uh, and I had a really really like knockdown dragout fight uh, with my friend Joni about this because she's a big Steely Dan fan. Sure. And I was just like, you know, and I and I made the point. I'm like, you know, that even if all these records are not, we're not fighting a fight that's like four years old. But yeah, I mean, exactly. all these records are nominated for record of the year. You can sort of make take it as read, even though I don't like Steely Dan. That you know that they all have some sort of artistic merit. Right. So it's almost a wash. And so really, absent any sort of definitive musical superiority, you have to base it on the societal impact. Mm-hmm. And there's just no getting around the fact that Eminem, at least at that point, was very important. That record was very absolutely. Important. And there's no getting around it. And so you know, it's like the whole. The the old, you know, whatever, the Metallica Jethro Tull thing in 86 exactly. or whatever. Right. Just, you know, it's crap. Uh, so there's that. Let me just say briefly about uh, flipping off the Scorpions, then I'll ask you a fog hat question, then we'll break. So um, I'm a huge Alice Cooper fan, big Alice Cooper fan, massive Alice Cooper sure. fan. And it, some years ago when I was living in Utah, he came to town, and I hate the Scorpions. I have to tell you, I mean, I'm a big rock fan and all of that stuff and whatever. Maybe I'm supposed to like the Scorpions, but you know what? Yeah. I, meet a, I meet a really astounding number of rock fans who are like, dude, I hate the Scorpions. And I'm with them. I, the Scorpions bug the hell out of me. And they just, they're just terrible. What, what is it that you hate the most? I don't really know. There's some sort of a – it's like it, – it, We may not have enough time. I'm just, it, for me, it's like they are the very definition of – Generic, uninteresting, 
and yet strangely off-putting rock. I don't know. There's some. There's to look at them is one thing, and then to listen to them and look at them at the same time. It's the intangible. I mean, like even take the big, the big hits like "Rock You Like a Hurricane." Sure. I hear that, and it really is just like the most. It's just as much as people will say like an AC/DC record sounds similar to other AC/DC records. The Scorpions, it's like rock by numbers. I mean, it really is just like rock done in entirely uninteresting primary colors. (laughs) Anyway, so I hate the Scorpions, and so they. But Alice Cooper comes to Utah with the Scorpions double bill. And he's opening for them. It's like Alice Cooper opening for the Scorpions. And it just like wow. offended me like more like in the wow. deepest place I was offended. So my friend Todd and I, we go to we go to this place called Wolf Mountain. Alice comes out, does his great set, total pro, you know, stunts, gags, magic tricks, the whole deal, puts on a huge show. And then it's like, all right, you know, there will be a brief intermission. Then the Scorpions were like, well, F this, we're leaving. So we start to walk out. And the deal at Wolf Mountain is when you leave, you go down the front and you have to walk right by the lip of the stage. Uh-oh. Right where, you know, that area where, like, security would be hauling the people out of the crowd. You have to walk right by the front of the stage on the way out. So we, like, you know, we stay and we talk to a couple friends and we're like, screw this, we're going to go. We need the scorpions, no way. So we walk down, we walk right by the front of the stage, and as we're walking by the front of the stage... Lights go down, and there's the whole, and like these strobe lights, and there's the whole, like, you are entering a hurricane zone. It's just, it makes me cringe even to think about it. And like the band runs out on stage, and they start into like, you know, suck song number one. Yeah, seriously. And it's like, they're just, and they're just turning the suck up to 11, just, you know, all from, from the beginning. And they're out, and he's doing that whole thing, I don't even love Utah, you know. And we're walking, we're, we're walking by, and as we're on the way out, we walk right by the lip of the stage as Klaus Mina comes to the front, and Todd and I, we were like four feet away from him, and we both just went and gave oh, him the double wow. fingers. And he was double so, wide. We gave him the gave him the middle fingers, both of us at once, from like four feet away, and it was so great because he's rocking, but it's light enough that you can sort of see because the sun hadn't gone down. So he's rocking, and then he looks down and he does the great double take, and he sort of cocks his head and looks at us and narrows his eyes as if to say, "Why." <laughs> And they were just oh, like, mission accomplished, wow. and we left. You really hurt we left. Klaus Minus feelings. Yeah. I don't have any time Impressive. to talk about Fog Hat. Well, now. that is we'll too bad. To we might have to come back to that. Fog Hat. We'll do it another time. Amazing. All right, Chris Paddock, ladies and gentlemen. Thank, thank you, you very so much. much. All right, let's take Best a break. Show in the world. Uh, back after this, ladies and gentlemen. Hey. That's some hooters. There you go. Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. We will return around the corner with High Concept Thursday. More from Tim Riley. Like us at 3, like us 101 at 5. Stay there. Since 1998, this is the Rick Emerson Show on AM 970, The Talker. No, I don't care that much. Your disdain makes me happy. Yeah. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Just one second, we'll do the glorious bastard of the week. Uh, then uh, news from Tim Riley, then today's... I feel like an ass. we got two high-concept topics. We're only going to get to one of them today. I don't deserve to live. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello, this is Matt Houston. I just wanted to say that that last segment with Chris Paddock was totally awesome. He's worth his weight in gold, sir. That guy, he pulled out Buck Dharma. Yeah. Delp, GTR. 
Jeff Picaro's death by, by, by gardening accident, which turned out to be not true. Pablo Cruz's keyboard player doing the Baywatch thing. I, that's the, that, see, now that dude ought to have a music show on Sunday nights <laughs> instead of that Timmy Ryan loser. That was fantastic. Maybe we should just split the difference and we'll just put him and Timmy Ryan in the studio together and see what happens. By the way, just so I can, uh, just the prop of the remnants of my own fragile ego, it was me that pulled the GTR reference, by the way. Okay, well, you really but, won't let Paddock have that one thing. He would say, "I'm just trying to, I'm trying to keep everything accurate and above board." Okay, okay well, here's okay. Then I'm going to pull out a GTR reference too. Did you remember? Did you see the Rolling Stones? All right then. Thank you, my friend. I'm okay. Real good. That was good. All right. Okay. Bye. All right. There you go. Oh, yeah. People are weird. All right. 503-733-2970. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. And now, no. though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. An excessive heat warning is in the bank. Temperatures could get close to 100 degrees in the Portland metro area, and they promise it's going to be at least, if not more, 100 degrees tomorrow. So wait, it's going to be at least 100 degrees? Tomorrow. I don't like things that are at least 100 it's degrees. It's a promise. It's a promise. Mm -hmm. And a threat. It's going to be a long bike ride home. <sighs> All right. I'm not even going to leave the house. I'm just going to sit there and not even move. This excessive high heat warning remains in effect till 10 p.m. Friday. It could be extended if people don't behave. Meanwhile, AT&T has restored service here to the Portland-Vancouver area. It's been sporadic all day. Some people had dropped calls. Other people couldn't text messages, uh, and all the kids are very upset. Well, and, you know, now is this here's a dumb question. Is it because of the heat in some way? Because, you know, heat starts to really screw with electronic well, let's equipment. Let's see here. Uh, it affected Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. It confirmed it only impacted the greater Portland metro area, except for the west side and the Vancouver metro right. area. And they offer no uh, logical explanation. No, of course. Why would it? It is a software issue. And, of course, that's the other thing. By the, you know, that whenever there's all this heat, everybody in the world needs to start turning on their air conditioner at once, which means that no one can really use the air conditioner because the power goes out. Which means the Macs run slower because they don't want to stretch the wire and make it snap. Is that true? Yeah. Every time it's hot like this, the Macs runs a lot slower. Oh, uh, so, so trapped in a hot metal tube of death. Are you on the Mac death. today, Tim? I am. Oh. Uh, this is a big baking tube of death and vomit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. Who wouldn't want to ride on it? Uh, so what else do we have? Oh, this Kentucky student. I have to tell you about her. Uh, Kentucky college student has hired a lawyer after she was escorted out of the mall by security because her dress was deemed to be too short. Uh, Kimberly, Kimberly Clem, a student at Eastern Kentucky University, wore the dress after purchasing it at the mall. Uh, just after a few minutes inside the mall, a security guard approached her and expressed concerns about the length of her garment. The guard informed her that several female patrons had complained that she was uh, disrupting their shopping experience because their husbands were checking her out. I was just going to oh, say, we know why that was happening. He made her turn all the way around, and he stared at me up and down, she said. The only thing he said is that other people didn't like the way I looked, so he wanted me to leave. Well, her sister, Kendra, uh, says that while the dress was short... It was not exposing any of her private parts. You know, can I just tell you that wrinkly, ugly people ruin things for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They really they're do. They're the first person to go, people to go naked because exactly. everybody wants to see it. Uh, you know, and maybe, uh, I don't know if we should, um, if I, Sarah, if I if I uh, don't use the names, uh, can I tell that story that you were told yesterday outside of, uh, we had a co-worker of ours who had a very leering and inappropriate comment yeah. made oh, to yeah. her. Yeah, so I, it, yeah. we should say it didn't happen here, by the way. But we work with someone who was, what, was it a car lot? I think so. 
We work with somebody who was a woman who was at a car lot, like looking for a car or whatever, and she's talking to the guy, and she's like, how much? And the guy's like, ten, and she's like, five, and the guy's like, nine, or whatever. She's going back and forth, talking to some guy at a car lot, and then I swear to you, the guy, as soon as they're like, they're haggling about the price of the car, this is no joke. Uh, this just happened the other day. She's haggling with this guy about the price of the car, and then this guy, this Herb Tarlick bastard, leans into her, and he says, now let me see your blanks. Blankies. Blankies. <laughs> I mean, come on. And I guess this like 13-year-old kid is right there learning all of Dad's life lessons. Mm. I mean, the, 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 really, it just it is it is sort of astounding. One doesn't even know what year this is sometimes. All right. American Airlines has been fined $7.1 million over maintenance issues and problems with its drug and alcohol testing programs. That from the FAA. Uh, there's no immediate action. So uh, apparently uh, there's uh, there are drug problems there and probably swingers in the cockpit for all we know. But uh, seven million dollars in fines, probably patching up flat tires of bubble gum. Excellent. So uh, they couldn't get away with that. All right. Well, that's it for now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth, greatest newsman in the history of the world, uh, back at four, five, six, and seven, top of the hour, all the way through life. Now what happens? See you Monday, um, Tim. Oh, that's oh, right. Today well, is Sarah's Friday. Sarah's gone tomorrow. Tomorrow, Kristen Bowie will be here in the studio with us. Oh, she's a nice guy. Uh, yes, she is. So uh, so Sarah's going to be uh, preparing for the Soapbox Derby on Saturday, and then uh, I would imagine just drinking uh, tomorrow while the rest of us are working. So good for you, Sarah. As it should be. Now I'm awake. I already know where I'm going to go out to breakfast. I'm just going to not even set my alarm. It's a whole, it's like, uh, it's like skipping school. That's exactly what it's like. All right. So today is uh, Sarah's uh, Friday. So uh, so Sarah, we'll see you on uh, on Monday then. And we'll then the, next Monday. week, Tim Riley, you're taking off Friday, right? I am. All right. I'll be here all the time. I have no life oh, yeah, and nowhere to go. Right. I'm just saying. No, it's true. I'm just saying. I I have. Are I you have, going on a vacation before the end of the year? Uh, I don't know actually. Uh, probably not because I think uh, Laura and I had sort of floated that idea of maybe you know if not Russia then you know some plan. We're probably going to go somewhere next year. Yeah, uh, you can go to like. California or something. Yeah, well, I just went to California. Cars. I just went to California like two months ago. Or like Arizona. Arizona. Arizona seems like a bad place to go right about now. Arizona's just rocks and dirt and sweaty people. I mean, well, the, I, I know that because when I lived in San Diego, I would see them, the zonies, they called them. When I lived in San Diego, all the Arizona people would come to San Diego for the for the summer, and it was all just like. I mean, they they all just uh, they all just looked like flow from Alice, like they'd just been baked under a heat lamp for a long time, and then they were just sweaty and loud, and they tipped terribly. So, uh, in any event, so uh, I'm just saying. All right, so uh, we will do the Glorious Pastor of the Week, then we'll do these two calls, then we'll do uh, High Concept Thursday. Where's my, let me just... Uh... Greetings and salutations, Ben Longsgriff, Long, Longstriff. Well, you know who you are, from Portland. You are being addressed at this moment because you, yes, you, have been selected as the AM970 Glorious Bastard of the Week, with all the rights and privileges that entails. In addition to the envy of your fellow man, you'll receive a bountiful cornucopia of swag from the AM970 pile of crap, including a family four-pack to the ASC Do Tour for Thursday, August 21st. Happens August 21st to the 24th, featuring the greatest talent in skateboarding, BMX, and freestyle motocross. Tickets on sale now through Comcast Ticks. Dot com. You've also won the wonderful knowledge that for at least this one week, you are just a little bit better than everybody else. Enjoy your newly elevated status, and don't hesitate to lord it over the less fortunate. Thank you for listening, Ben Longstrith from Portland. You are the Glorious Bastard of the Week. Become a Glorious Bastard at 9.70.am. So there you go. I don't know. I might be going somewhere. I don't know. Maybe when Christmas comes. I don't know. I might, I might take some time. I'll go back to your vacation days. That's true. I have to use and my or, and or my personal days. We have we talked about going back to New York. I haven't gone to New York in a few years. Because the thing about I'm like it's the eighth month of the year and I still have like two weeks of vacation. I'm like yeah. got it. You use it while the getting's good. Yeah. yeah. So always use your vacation days and your insurance. Yeah. Mm. So I uh, that's the other thing I had to do. I got to make a dental appointment, man. I've just been putting that off. 
I got to get my dental appointment. I took care of everything else. I got to get my. Uh, I got. There are other things you can do. Go get a colonoscopy. That's fun too. They'll pay for it. <laughs> laugh. What shall I do this afternoon? Should I go to a movie or shall I have a delicate part of my anatomy probed? Well, let's flip a coin. So, uh, in any of us, I don't, I don't know. Well, you know, Lars, but see, Lars going to be gone. She's using up a lot of her vacation time uh, with that. She's doing that thing in the Amazon, uh, and that's almost three weeks. She's going to be gone. Wow. She's going to be gone for two weeks and five days, I think. Uh, you know, because she's she's hiking like twenty six miles or some crap. I mean, it's some, like some Anderson Cooper like event. It just, I mean, look, I got to give it. I mean, I really admire her because she's way more outgoing than I am. And you know what? I don't know the guts. I mean, anytime they're going to tell me that I have to get like cobra venom and like be inoculated against dengue fever or whatever that is, thank you, no. I mean, she's way more outgoing than I am, and she's you know it. it you know, it's not like she's probably taking her life in her hands as such, but it's you know it's. It's also not, you know, it's, it's not going down to the corner store. Uh, so uh, so she's doing that. So that may sort of quash any vacation plans we have until next year. We'll see. No, she's more adventuresome than you are. That, that, that certainly is true um, in any event. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's uh, welcome these following uh, two callers. Then we'll do High Concept Thursday. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. Dirt bag Dave. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm a dandy, if a little uh, neurotic. What's up with you? Ah, you know, your tale of flipping off the scorpions in mass brought back a great memory. It's 1985, Memorial Coliseum. A buddy and I dating these two high school bimbos. Of course, we were high school geeks ourselves. Went to go see, of all people, Billy Squire. Of course. But opening for Billy Squire and all of their white trash glory was Molly Hatchet. <laughs> and we actually went to go see Molly Hatchet because it was 1985, and that's what you did when you were a punk-ass high school kid in a Camaro. Totally. So we went, and Billy Squire was the main act. Molly Hatchet was the opener. We sat there, and we, you know, rocked out and did our Molly Hatchet thing. The bimbos that we drunkenly wanted to bed were with us, and they, of course, were there for Billy Squire. It was about a half-filled house. Go through the intermission. We're Section 24, which in the Coliseum, when there was still concerts there, was directly next to the stage, not in front of it, but to the side and directly parallel with the stage. Best seats in the house, and nobody knew they existed. Uh-huh. If you were low enough, you could reach out and touch You could reach out and smack the stage. Guess where we were sitting? Right there. Right there, man. I could reach out and push a monitor off the front of the stage if I wanted to. Between songs, all you could hear was two drunken high school kids at the side of the stage yelling and screaming at the top of their prepubescent voices, you suck, you rotten, <laughs> such and such and such. Between songs, it was dead silent. All you could hear was us. There was no applause. There was no screaming. It was Billy Squire and the Emotions in Motion Tour. I mean, it's really hard to imagine anybody getting that agitated one way or the other about Billy Squire, but I'm glad, was, you, were, glad you were holding it down. It was genius. We broke his concentration like three times and were finally kicked out of the show. But it's one of my crowning moments in, you know, high school stupidity. Excellent. You are a god among men, sir. Yeah, don't tell anybody. All right. Thank you. One more, and then we'll do High Concept Thursday. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hey, everybody. What's up? Uh, I wanted to mention about that uh, security guard at the mall kicking that girl out. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I hope she sues them. For everything they got. <laughs> well, uh, somebody just, I haven't looked at it. Somebody just sent me a picture of what she was wearing. Let me see if I can get this to open here. Uh, I'm trying to get this. This is from the, uh, I mean, it's it's from Kentucky. So, I mean, you run really has to sort of, oh, I'm looking at this app yeah. right here. It's not revealing at all. She is hot, though. Yeah. Cool. So. You should post that then. All right. Post that on your website. 
But uh, before I was doing what I'm doing now, I was in loss, retail loss prevention for 12 years, and we used to get complaints all the time with everything. Well, it's uh, always from it's, some, like, tight-ass blue hair whose husband is being distracted by yeah. a hot girl. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what we used to call the $50,000 decision, and that security guard made the wrong decision. Yeah, exactly. It's going to cost them $50,000 now. Exactly. So, all anyway, right. Thank thanks, you, sir. Whatsoever. All right, there you go. All right, so high concept Thursday, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I have to admit that I am... Filled with Catholic guilt about this. I want to do this high concept today because we were talking about it yesterday and because Sarah's not going to be here tomorrow. That being said, uh, listener Amanda has requested a specific high concept that I will actually do tomorrow, come hell or high water, as they used to say. So, Amanda, uh, tomorrow's high concept will be for you. Please forgive me. Uh, all right. So today, here is the high concept question. Sarah, you have to help me phrase this. Okay. Uh, it is 503-733-2970. Today's high concept topic, things... That you're obsessive-compulsive about? OCD behaviors or mannerisms, things that you must do to satisfy your own obsessive-compulsive uh, neuroses. For example, you said there are three things you got to do before you leave the house. What are they? Well, I always have to... Um... I, well, I have to check both my doors because I, I stick Muppet in the kitchen, so I have to make sure the door's propped. I always check my stove. I always have to, like turn all the knobs, make sure they're all off, and then I check my back door. I, I lock and relock right. my back door like three times, and then lock my front door, and then like leave the house and have to come back and like make sure I. I do that too. I did it. I did it not this morning, but yesterday morning. Uh, I always have to double or triple check my front door, mm -hmm. which is stupid, and it makes you wonder if your brain is full of holes because you just did it five seconds ago. Seriously, I'm like, how can I not remember doing this? And then I will fully convince myself. I will work myself into a tizzy. I'll be somewhere. I mean, I swear to God, I left my back door wide open with, you know. Absolutely. And, and my back door and my front door and all my windows, and I'll just start to panic about it, and I'll have to actually go back to my house just to check, and of course it's always shut. So the high concept out of the day is obsessive-compulsive things, behaviors, uh, stuff you have to do, uh, whether it's straightening a picture, whether it's leaving the house and doing a certain ritual, whether it's uh, turning picking up, a, up white specks on the counter, picking up white specks on the counter, turning off a light switch in a certain way. Uh, I'll do this thing. Here's the thing. I don't really. A lot of these things don't happen in the studio, but a lot of them are at home. Uh, if there's books sitting on the coffee table, I have to turn the books so they are angled in on each side, if that makes sense. In other words, square coffee table. Let's say I got two books there. I got to turn them one. You know, sort of turning to the to the left and the other one turning to the right, so the bottom of the books are facing in on the table. I, I can't they can't be straight or God forbid pointing out. The books have to be angled so they are pointing in when they sit on the table. Uh, and you know me, but my how it, whenever I'm meeting a snack food like goldfish crackers or something, I always have to eat two two at a time. I told uh, I think I was telling Joni about that that you got to eat like M and M's mm. two at a time. What happens if you get to the end of the package, you got one left? Oh, it's not it's not that obsessive. It's just like it feels. I, I just like eating them like that. All right. So we are looking for your obsessive, be, uh, compulsive behaviors or traits uh, here on High Concept Thursday. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Uh, I feel bad for being, like, the biggest jerk ever, but I'm that guy that has to uh, lock his car door with the remote door lock until it beeps twice. Like, the first time it won't honk the horn. The second time the horn will honk. I have to lock my door so it honks twice, no matter what time of day or night it is. And have you always done this? What did you do before you had a car that with the, with the audible alarm thing? Well, I would then I would be the guy that would make sure to you know jerk on the door handle to make sure that it was locked. But now that I have it, I can you know walk away and be that cool guy like yeah, I've got the remote control. So as technology has advanced, your neuroses have changed. Not only has it it's changed, it's more evolved. The neuroses itself has not, uh, I have not gained lenience from my neuroses. It's still as bad as it's ever been. Excellent. All right. Thank you, sir.
Thank you, my friend. See, through all of this, we discover we're not so alone. <laughs> we're not so freaky. No, the, just yesterday. Our audience is just freaky, too. Yesterday, I locked the front door to the house. Uh, go, I, literally, it's five feet from the door to the car. Lock the front door to the house, and I check it. I, you know, push the thing, check the door, and it's locked. Walk to the car, start the engine, sigh heavily to myself, turn off the car, get out, walk to the door, check the car door again. I do that three, four times in, in a row. So that Richie Bristol says... When he's using the microwave, he can only use numbers next to each other when programming the time, like one two three, one four seven, one five nine. He has to use the numbers that are next to each other, huh? That are like in a row. Interesting. Uh, it's a high concept uh, Thursday. What is your OCD behavior? Um, that would be another one of the locking the doors thing. But uh, for me, because as a new driver, many, 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 many years ago, I locked the keys in my car multiple times. Mm-hmm. And uh, one time I actually had to have my father come and, you know, bring the keys, the spare keys for the house. So now literally it's whenever I leave my apartment or whenever I leave my car, I must actually look at the keys as I'm shutting the door to make sure that I don't lock them in the car or lock myself out of my apartment. So you have to keep your eyes on them at all times. Absolutely. And, it's you know, same thing when I'm leaving the apartment. It's they're in my hand and, you know, I can jiggle them, but if I'm not looking at them, they're not real. Right. So I actually have to lift them up to my eyes and, and kind of shake them and jingle them as I'm shutting the door to make sure that I have my keys in my hand so I can get back into whatever I've just locked myself out of. I, I'm, I'm, I like the idea that you actually have to raise them almost to eye level and, like, shake them so that it's sort of like – so that I they do. resonate. It is such a phobia, and it's been since I was about 17. So, uh, granted, it's gotten worse since so I've gotten older, but, uh, yes, I must do that. Excellent. All right. Thank you, my friend. All right, it's I high... do the same thing. I have to have my keys in my hand, and I shake my... I'm always annoying. Double-checking, triple-checking, quadruple-checking. All the time. Like... And I have to shake my bag all the time just to make sure my keys are just in there. Just to make sure they're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's High Concept Thursday. What is your OCD behavior? Oh, I have so many. But how about uh, magazines on the coffee table, organizing them, and... No one sees them anyway. I don't know why I even do it. Right, but it's a thing you got to do regardless. Now, when you say organizing, it like a specific way, the biggest to smallest, or? Uh, yeah, or just visible to see. They can pick one up. What happens if, uh, if, if, they, if, if, like, you got the family dog or whatever that knocks them over? Then I kick the dog. <laughs> All right, thank you. High Concept Thursday, what is your OCD behavior? Hey, Rick, how you doing? What do you got? I do everything in groups of eight. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> It's just it's, it's a pattern of eight mm-hmm. that I I knock on the door eight times. All everything I do is in groups of eight. All right, fair enough. And it's totally weird, but it's, I've done it since I was a kid. Then it gets stronger as I get older. I'm perfectly functional. I just do everything in groups of eight. See, so we see none of us are see none of us are that crazy. I mean, or we are, but I mean, so we're uh, you know we're we're all crazy together. Uh, I didn't do that, but I used to I used to know a friend who was that way. But it was like ten for some reason. I think he seized on ten as a kid as a big round number, and so everything he had to do uh, was in groups of ten. So I understand groups of eight. Uh, I it's, I've done it every since I can remember as a kid. All right. Thank you, my friend. Yeah. All right. There you go. Uh, I have to do this thing, and this has actually gotten better as I've gotten older. I used to be really relentless about this. Uh, when I would be walking on the sidewalk, and, you know, there's cracks in the sidewalk, and, you know, people are like, I don't step in a crack. My thing wasn't that. It was that I had to count the number of steps, and then I would reset at a crack. In other words, you know, I would count how many steps it was between cracks. So it's like, let's say there's four cracks in the sidewalk. I would go one, two, three, four, stop, reset. One, two, three. And when I crossed a crack, I would reset and I would start counting from zero again. I, I totally still don't step on cracks or on like breaks in the sidewalk. I just, and I don't even realize that I'm doing it. I'll just be walking Muppet and I'll just 
be like walking around. I probably look like a crazy person. And that's a weird thing because it's so universal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when I turn off light switches, I got to do this thing. I'll flip off the light switch, but then I got to use my whole hand and I got to like make sure my whole hand makes contact with the switch okay, after it's no, down. You need to stop talking. I'm just saying. Creepy. Like I got to rub my whole hand along it so it's super off. Like I can't just turn it off with my finger. I can like use my whole the, the whole side of my hand to turn the light switch off. All right, let's put your filter back on. Cause I Sorry. Why does that one freak you out? I don't know. You have to like. I'm not caressing it. I'm just saying <laughs> it's like a, it's like it's like otherwise I don't feel like it's turned off. It's like I can use my whole hand. No light. <laughs> you, you can't make fun of me. Hi, you're I'm on the Rick Emerson show. You right? I eat two M&Ms at a time. What, what is your uh, What is your OCD behavior? I was gonna say there's two things. I have to have the toilet paper outside of the roll. When I put it in, I can't stand it. I don't know why. It drives right. me crazy. When I go to people's houses, I switch that. And I am a compulsive lint picker. Oh, yeah. No, I'm that way with specks on the counter. Sarah will tell you that. Little white specks on the countertop. Yeah, not stand lint. On other people, too. I find myself at restaurants. I'm looking at it. Oh, no. I'll do that. I mean, that I do that. Rick obsesses. I'll sit there in promotion. I will sit there in promotion meetings, and there'll be like a white speck on the table in front of a salesperson. I'll be like, look, can you just, can you just look? No, fine. I'll do it. And I'll lean over, and I'll get rid of the white speck in front of them, and realizing that the whole time they're going, God damn, he's crazy. All right. Thank you, sir. Goodbye, Rick. Uh, Kristen Bowie says, if I have more than one item with my meal, I can't touch anything else until I finish the first thing I started eating or drinking. I am, uh, here's the thing about me, uh, like this, uh, if I order, like, um, uh, something that comes with a side, fries, whatever, I have to start eating the side first. I don't always have to finish it, but if I order a sandwich that comes with fries, I have to start eating the fries first. I can't eat the sandwich first. I have to start with the fries. I was at my father's place the other day. I order a sandwich, fries, and I eat, you know, mustard on my fries. They didn't bring the mustard. And Joni sat there and watched me as the sandwich kept getting colder and colder because I couldn't start eating the sandwich because I hadn't started eating the fries, and I couldn't do that until I had the mustard. So ready for a vacation. Hi, you're... Hi, you're on the Rick Everson Show. What is your OCD behavior? Actually, it's very similar to what you were just talking about. I was in a car accident while driving as a... A teenager, mm-hmm. and to this day, and it was because I was juggling fries and a hamburger. So to this day, I have to eat hamburger first, and then everything else. And if there's no fries, it's you know whatever vegetables that that waits till the end. Yeah. It has to be main course first. Food in a specific order. I think a lot of people probably have that one. All right. Mine actually. was because I, I was almost killed. And but see, there you go. But see, that makes an imprint on you early on. I would imagine. I could be miles away from a road. I'll still do the same thing. Excellent. Good for you. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. Hi. You're making uh, me feel better. See, but I mean, we're all, you know. Because we're all united, because I really do feel crazy about those stove things. No, it's. I think we're all different shades of crazy. Mm-hmm. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson uh, Show. What is your OCD behavior? Well, it's a little bit different, I guess, shall we say, uh, with newspapers, magazines, anything that you can purchase in a store, and especially like Willamette Week, when you see the stacks of the magazines. No way in the world will I take the top one off of it. I always go for the middle. Same with, like, any product, if it's uh, headphones, CDs, whatever it may be, anything. You know, don't take the one off the front of the shelf. I dig to the back or in the middle of the shelf and pick that item. I do that, too. I do it with, um, uh, and there's no real rhyme or reason. I'll do it with food, like a box of macaroni. i got to get one that's, like, three from the back or three from the front. Uh, Yeah, and because you always just assume the one in the front is defective, which makes no sense. Yeah, and I mean, other people have already had their uh, fingers all over it, so I don't know why. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously people have had their fingers on the other ones, too, but it just seems uh, seems calming, shall we? That's what I'm to see, but that's the thing. People calming. people don't understand, but when you do these behaviors, it calms you down, uh, which is, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not a shrink, so I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, it, it, it's some sort of weird 
not self-medicating, but it does some sort of a thing. It must release some sort of a chemical in your brain. It's like a satisfying activity somehow. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Best show ever. Thank you, I my friend. The best email from the low. Hmm. His biggest one. I have a complex method for folding my bath towel so that I dry the exact same body parts on exactly the same area on the towel and that by my method of folding and drying every day, I get exactly six showers from each towel before I drop it in the hamper to be washed. Wow, you're crazy. <laughs> That's, I think, the most involved one we've heard yet. Yeah, he's not even joking about that. Oh, no, I have no, I, I have no doubt. That's the email. That is spoken in the straightforward tone of someone who has been doing that for a long time and is just sort of zen with it. This is just what I do. Wow. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, Concept Thursday. What is your OCD behavior? Hi, Rick. Hi, yes. Hello, sir. Okay, mine has to do with uh, any kind of utensils you use, mostly forks. The, the, the tines have to be perfectly in order. They touch my teeth differently. I have to take the fork off and make sure that uh, each of one of them is lined up perfectly. So they got to be even. So if you, when your mouth closes on the fork, if you make contact with some tines but not others, uh, it's uneven and it, it won't work for you. It throws me off big time. All right, excellent. Thank you, sir. Oh, there you go. Thank you, my friend. All right, do we have the break? I'll take, like, one more. All right, we'll do uh, one more. My apologies to the other crazy people who will not get to share their uh, their behaviors with us. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Uh, final call for this high-concept uh, topic. What is your OCD behavior? Um... When I was a little kid, my mom used to put tons of mayonnaise on my sandwiches, mm-hmm. so I would add an extra slice of bread. So even to this day, there's no mayonnaise. Even if there's no mayonnaise, I always add like, like a third slice of bread onto every sandwich I make. Now, is it now? Does on it bother you? Yeah. Where does it go? It just goes on top. There's like no rhyme or reason. There's nothing in between. It's just an extra piece of bread. That's fantastic. That's so strange. Yeah. Does it... like, if I go out for a sandwich, I totally have to settle for sandwich normalcy because I don't want to like make them think I'm a total freak. Seriously, I was going to ask if you sort of, but but do you sort of feel the uncomfortability when you're eating out in public and you it's a normal sandwich? No, it's not like uncomfortable, but I'm, I sort of just secretly am like whispering to myself how badly I wish I had my extra slice of bread. So this is the best call to end on. You're fantastic. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Bye. All right. Thank you. My apologies to those folks we didn't get to. We'll do this again sometime. someday. Well, in the future, uh, we'll we'll do another OCD uh, round of high concept Thursday. All right. Fantastic. See, we're all crazy together. All right. Back after this, the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Stay right there. First of all, two observations. One, uh, the thing about the guy with the bread and the extra slice is hilarious. I, I don't mean in the sense that I'm making fun. It's just it's just a funny image, which I think he knows. Uh, two slices of bread on top, one slice on the bottom. And see, that kind of bugs me because it seems out of balance. Like, to me, it's like I want to turn the sandwich over in my head so that the second slice is on the bottom because it seems all wrong. I think I'd put it on the top. See, and I couldn't do that. I mean, like how hamburger buns, how the top part of the bun is thicker than the bottom. See, thinking about it kind of makes me... A little cringy. And that thing about the low and his, like, weird algebraic, like, formula for figuring out how to get six showers or something out of it. A... his body parts at the same t- parts of the towel? Like, in a weird, in a weird thing, like, in a weird way, I'm sort of impressed because, like, you got to be pretty smart to even, f- I wouldn't even know how to calculate uh, such a formula. I mean, I feel dumb only because I wouldn't, I couldn't do that if I tried. So, uh, final one. This one says, I have to reset the alarm for my girlfriend every morning. I swear some days I check that clock four or five times before I can leave for work. All right, I'm with you, sir. All right, we want to thank CNN Radio correspondents Ed McCarthy, uh, Rachel McGrath, and Steve Kastenbaum, uh, as well as Chris, pa- uh, Chris Paddock from Rock 101 KUFO. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include Scott Daly from FilmFeverRadio.com.
Rick Emerson Show, produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. For AM 970, the talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley. On the uh, phones, it's Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in. Webmistress Bridget from upstairs. Uh, Director of Engineering, Brian uh, Jones. And, of course, CBS Radio Portland. Marketing guru, Susan. Don't F with me, Reynolds. Like us next. Like us 101 at 5. Michael Mara Show at 7. Back tomorrow at 10 for the recap. 11 for the show. As always, thank you for listening. Be safe. Don't let the bastards grind it down. See you all tomorrow. Bye now. Oh, no, that's terrible. Oh, he's dislocated. That's just awful.